Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. He can't refuse to let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty void. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. These gremlin type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. Conspiracy. <laughs> 
right, guys. Welcome to the 150th episode of Conspiranormal. Woo-hoo. Uh, Luke is even here. I mean, that's amazing. And we just heard, and you just heard, our new theme song. Compliments of the wonderful Mr. Luke. It sucks. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. So just tell me the truth. Um, no, man, I, I, I like it. It's brand new. I'm, I'm glad to hear a brand new theme song with with brand new voices that don't date from like 2013. So I, I guess your listeners get to suffer a little less. But yeah, that's true, man. That's true. It still blows. I hate it. I hate <laughs> what do you hate about it? What do you just you decide everything that you do? Is that what it is? Yes, it, it's garbage. It's garbage. I, it sounds like it's from 2010, dude. <laughs> It's, it's dated. Are you saying 2010 wants their music back? Yes, they do. Yeah, they want that song back. I'll give it to them. <laughs> well, we have somewhat of a crew in here tonight for episode 150. I mean, it's not like it's episode 100 or episode 200. It, it is what it is. And are you saying we're not important? Well, you are Adam, important. Every, every episode every of Conspiranormal oh, is, well, is well, a thank you. kidding. Thank you. Insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> we have Alyssa here. Say hello to everybody, Alyssa. Yo. And yeah, and uh, Heather is sitting in with us tonight. Hi, how you doing, Heather? I'm doing so good, I can't stand it. Uh, Heather's one of like the she's like the the main listener of the show. <laughs> you almost said like the one listener. <laughs> the, the one show. listener, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's the only one sitting in the bleachers. <laughs> and we have another special little guest here. Uh, we're not going to use his real name, but we call him Bean on the yeah, internet. Bean yeah. is here. My little baby Bean. He's a year old. Yeah. He's just kind of wandering around the studio here. Eating a graham cracker. Eating a graham cracker. He's like a tiny Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> He's very proper. He's wearing big boy shoes. <laughs> well, Heather, hopefully you'll be able to get to sit in with us for the guest tonight. We're going to have a round table with uh, Soraya and uh, Joshua Cutchin and Red Pill Junkie, all from Where Did the Road Go? So I'm really looking forward to talking to those guys. Um... Guys, it has been quite a week. Um, you know, I'm really getting sick of politics at this point, and I don't here, really want to talk about it too much on today's show. But uh, I do want to kind of address this like Muslim immigration ban for a little bit, and I just want to get your thoughts on it, uh, Luke. You over there holding your holding your hands up and uh, no, I'm not, dude. Don't. <laughs> Don't make it sound like I'm endorsing that sort of thing because I don't know. On to the, I pass. The next person. On to this, uh, on to the other person in the panel. What do you guys think about it? Are we deferring to, defer. to the other person here? Try, try to refrain from cussing. Just politics in general, or any any particular. No, I'm talking about the Muslim this this immigration. I think it sucks. Band. I think it's a terrible idea and. People are saying, oh, well, Obama, you know, he banned immigrant, you know, immigration, you know, during her, his term. And and I get that. But the fact that's really upsetting me is that it's dividing families and people, you know, I, I've read stories and testimonials of people who were going yep. back to Syria to visit family and found out you know, at the, at the last minute that they might not be able to get back into this country. You know, they've got wives and husbands and children back in this country and they might not be able to come home for four months. 
You know, that's absurd to me that some of them are people who have served this country and fought in the, in wars and, and, you know, put their lives on the line for this country and they might be stuck there for four months, you know, and that, that's not right. You know, what's really crazy is the stuff that you're hearing about people that are permanent residents. In other words, that's, that's a, that's a green card, right? That's someone that has been vetted. That's someone that has gone through the process of immigration. Once you get a green card, that's what you have. Um, so people that are, that are, that have green cards and not being able to come back into this country, if you are from the list of the countries, I think it's, or you hold a passport from this country, uh, it's Yemen, Syria, Somalia, Libya, uh, Iran Iran and Iraq, Yep. which Iraq kind of surprises me somewhat considering that. Well, I mean, people like the Kurds are out there fighting ISIS, and probably no one from ISIS is really coming over here from Iraq, possibly from Syria, but not probably from Iraq. Yeah. Uh, so I find that interesting that it's, and it's not countries like Saudi Arabia, which you're not going to put any kind of travel ban on Saudi Arabia. That's just not going to happen. I don't care who's president, um, just because of the relationship between us and Saudi Arabia. And Egypt is another one, you know, terrorists come from all countries and then not just to, not to even to mention the fact that the last, I think, major terrorist attacks that we had with San Bernardino, well, shooting San Bernardino, Orlando and Chattanooga, all three of those were done by people that were American citizens. And if they really are pulling people off that have green cards, I think my advice to some of those people would be to get citizenship because then you are untouchable. You're not going to be done with that. So, Heather, what do you think? I want to read some facts about it here in a second. But Well, you actually touched on something I was going to say where people who have, you know, who've already been through the vetting process are being detained. Yeah. And I think that's not right, just personally. They've already been through the process. We already know they're safe there's no need to hold them and it is it is tearing families apart uh keeping them apart but there was an article that i'd I'd seen earlier today uh that was like um trump's executive order on refugees separating fact from hysteria and it made some good points about how you know this is a very Mm -hmm. temporary ban it's been is that the national review which is a conservative publication by the way it is and i knew that when i saw the the, the title there but um but it does have some good points that are factual um, this it's bad news I think and it was bad news when Obama did it I think just because Obama did it doesn't necessarily make it amazing and awesome I think it, it still tore families apart and, and it's it's doing that now but it is temporary and I think it's it's going to blow over and we'll forget about it in a year and we'll be outraged about something else yeah I mean this whole week this has only been one of the things that people have been outraged, especially over, especially over Facebook. I mean, there's been several things like like the uh, the Keystone Pipeline stuff, um, which was blocked under Obama, and then Trump gave it the go ahead this week. I think Luke, you were even mad about that. And there was there just other things that that had happened. He signed a lot of executive orders. You know, Rob and I talked about that the other day when we. <laughs> We did the episode with Aaron David. How right, he signed so many in just the space and, of a week. And the the number that he signed isn't necessarily the thing that's um, uh, that we should be focusing on. It's the severity and the intensity of the executive orders that he's signing. Yeah, that is 
not necessarily unprecedented, but something that's unnerving for sure. Well, here's from the Atlantic.com. Uh, this is a little bit of more of the, the facts. Um, the National Review article was good, but I didn't want it. It was kind of a longer article. Uh, this goes into exactly what this entails. Uh, what Trump's executive order on immigration does and doesn't do. Uh, President Trump, that's hard to get used to still, signed on Friday an executive order that severely restricts immigration from seven Muslim countries, suspends all refugee admission for 120 days, and bars all Syrian refugees indefinitely. The order has been widely criticized and praised. Here's what it does and doesn't do. Who is not affected? Anyone with U.S. citizenship, whether that person is natural born or natural born or naturalized. Who is affected? For 120 days, the order bars the entry of any refugee who is awaiting resettlement in the U.S. It also prohibits all Syrian refugees from entering the U.S. until further notice. Additionally, it bans the citizens of seven countries, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, and Yemen from entering the U.S. on any visa category. This appears to include those individuals who are permanent residents of the U.S. green card, holders, like we said before, who may have been traveling overseas to visit family or for work, though their applications will be considered on a case-by-case basis, a senior administration official said Saturday. See, that shouldn't even be considered on a case-by-case basis. If they have a green card, they should be able to come and go. Trust me, I've been through this process. I I know what a green card entails and what it doesn't. Uh, the official also said green card holders from the from those countries who are in the U.S. will have to meet with a consular officer before leaving the U.S. These countries are all Muslim or predominantly Muslim countries. The order also targets individuals of those countries who hold dual citizenship with another country, for instance, an individual who holds both Iraqi and Canadian citizenships. It does not apply to individuals who hold U.S. citizenship along with citizenship of another country. Why were those seven countries chosen? The U.S. allows the citizens of more than 30 countries to visit for short stays without a visa under a visa waiver program, but that visa waiver does not apply if a citizen of an eligible country has visited, with some exceptions. Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, or Yemen on or after March 1st, 2011. Those individuals must apply for a visa at a U.S. consulate. These seven countries are listed under section blah, blah, blah. And it is this code that Trump's executive order cited while banning citizens of those nations. What is the impact? The number of permanent residents from those these countries is relatively small. For instance, 1,016,518 green cards were issued in 2014. Of these, 19,153 went to Iraqis and 11,615 to Iranians, according to the Department of Homeland Security's data. These two countries make up the overwhelming majority of U.S. permanent residents from among the seven nations, which together have 500,000 permanent residents in the U.S., according to ProPublica. But the seven nations, as I reported this week, also account for 40% of the U.S. refugee intake. Numbers, however, seldom tell the whole story. There have been multiple reports since the executive order was signed of people being prevented from boarding flights. Refugees who had gone through the years-long process before being approved to come to the U.S. stranded in third countries of Iraqis who had worked for years with the U.S. military being denied entry. See, that's not right. Of Iranian students stuck overseas, of U.S. tech companies recalling its foreign workers because of the possible impact. So, that's it in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Interesting times. 
And didn't Iran just issue a uh, a counter ban on the U.S. citizens yep. in their country? Yeah, I, you had told me that earlier, but uh, I hadn't heard anything other than that. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know the if, specifics. If that's it. It just what seems, happened, it just seems antagonistic. <clears throat> well, and there's this whole there's a lot of countries. I think that the my biggest fear here is that a lot of other countries are going to jump on this isolationist mindset. And, you know, we're going to lose communication. We're going to build paranoia. We're going to enter a new Cold War, which, I don't know, it's yeah. kind of terrifying. You mean we can't go to Iraq now, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Cancel those travel plans, Luke. Yeah, yeah. I was really hoping to go to Yemen this year. I was hoping to to get bombed by one of those, you know, horrible Saudi Arabian bunker buster bombs that I they... Was- that they drop on the Houthis. I was hoping to buy an RPG from a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I'll never be able to cross that off the bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, a, this is another point that I made, I think, for the, except for the possible exception of Sudan. The countries on this list are countries that some of them have been in the situation that they are because of American involvement. Uh, Iraq and Syria would be the two biggest ones in that category because they are, which will be a direct American involvement because, you know, we went in there and bombed Syria or we went in there and bombed Libya. uh, And now Libya is in such a terrible situation that it is that it has become a breeding ground for, for terrorism. Iraq goes without saying what has happened over there in the last few years since 2003. Uh, So, and then also Yemen and Syria would be more indirect uh, American involvement. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, there's a horrible civil war going on in, in Yemen that the Saudis are involved in and the Iranians are involved in that are um, that is that is not being reported on here in the United States. So each one of these countries in, in Somalia is basically, I mean, there is really no government in Somalia. It's still anarchy there so you know it's like almost like the eggs that we've broken now we say you can't come here or if you're here you can't come back and there's going to be a lot of tests on this because i think the the executive order i think has been is probably deliberately vague and there's probably some work around on this but uh i don't know what does this solve honestly what does it solve does it solve anything no. Well, I think part of the reasoning that has been given, um, that I've heard at least, is that in theory, during this, uh, what is it, 120 days that they're saying, this yeah. temporary ban? Yeah. During this time period, in theory, they'll be able to look at people who want to come into the U.S. and look at the vetting process and try to tweak it to make sure it's up to snuff. Mm-hmm. I see no problem with that. Um, but that that's, I don't know how much of that is going to change in just 120 days. It seems like a small amount of time to make any real lasting changes. And they haven't really been forthcoming as exactly what they're going to be doing. All they say is that well, we're going to be looking at the vetting process. They don't really say anything about that. That's just all that I've heard, which leads right. me to believe that this is just all grandstanding. Yeah, it could be just to fulfill a campaign. Yeah, exactly. So I was going to say that's been the same with a lot of stuff. Like they've, you know, they put, some holds on um you know the affordable health care stuff but they haven't proposed any solutions they haven't proposed any um you know 
any kind of alternate plan or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I'm not uh, unhappy to see the individual mandate go, but no, that part should, of it, yeah, we should replace it with something that is going to work and could work. I'd love to try. hear what they have on the plate. Yeah, well, nobody knows that yet. So, uh, turning away from politics because I'm getting, I'm just, <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm getting to be like the ostrich with its head in the sand. Um, I watched two interesting movies this last week. Uh, one was Hostage to the Devil, which uh, we will be having the director of that film coming on the show here next month. Uh, so I don't want to talk about it too much. I do want to talk a little bit about it with uh, with the guys on the roundtable. Uh, and the other one was Beware the Slender Man, which was on HBO. I have Giving me that look, Heather. I have something to say about this, about okay. Slender Man. Okay, look. All right, so I've told you before about my mom and her her stories about the haunted house that she lived in when she was a girl. Yeah. And I won't go into it now, but um, amongst the many things that happened to my mom while she was there, I, I, I was talking to her about this last time I went home a, a couple months ago, and I, she was recounting some of the things. We were talking about supernatural stuff, and she told me a part that I had not heard before. In, in one of the events that kept happening, there was a, a figure of a man that would come and stand over the bed in one of the rooms um, sometimes. And um, in fact, they had a friend of the family that stopped staying over because she, she was scared of this man that was standing over her bed at night. Mm-hmm. Um, who didn't match the description of any of her other family member. And my mom was describing the figure and she said it was a tall, thin man with a top hat. And uh, she said he he was very tall and he was very thin. I said, would you say he was slender? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, he was, he was slender, but anyway, it just caught my imagination and it just seemed. Did he not have a face? uh, Well, he was always a silhouette because it was dark. Um, but yeah, that, that just really yeah. caught my imagination. That's, that's a motif and Slender Man, although we know it's made up by the creepy pasta in 2009, you know, that we know that's all part of a contest or whatever to make up something really creepy. Uh, there's still that motif that's out there. Uh, a lot of people seeing figures without a face like Luke, you have that story about your friends. That's all that. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of that stuff in every kind of culture. Uh, but there's th- this is uh, this is more not about the slender man. This is about the case where the the girls, the two girls, I think they were about eleven or twelve, and they stabbed and tried to kill their other friend to so that they could use her as a sacrifice for slender man, and they were going to go live with slender man in the woods. Uh, we we talked about this on the show back when it happened, but. Uh, one of the t- most terrifying aspects, though, in the film is the fact that the one, the I think the girl is Morgan Gastire, I think is her name. She's the one that did the stabbing. The other girl instigated her on, but uh, stood back while Morgan kill, tried to kill her friend. Uh, they found out that she is actually has the she's actually developed schizophrenia. She was about 11 to 12 years old. And that part is what is utterly horrifying. Like she sees invisible people 
she is in a cell by herself in the juvenile detention center. And she will talk about how she will tell her parents how she is. She has to, she, she has to watch some, she has to watch TV, but she has to choose sometimes what the others want to watch. Adam, I I haven't seen this, but was the, um, was the whole premise sort of that, um, as far as the title, um, Beware the Slender Man, was it sort of like a don't blame urgent legends and media, or was it a, a more of a blaming the media for not reporting on the, the schizophrenia well, kind of a thing? Yeah, there's none of that. Um, it mostly focuses on the case itself, and then it focuses on uh, the origin of the legend of slender man and uh the existence of memes and what what memes uh mean and how they're carried on they even talked to richard dawkins the evolutionary biologist they talked to him about this and i was like why did he even bring in richard dawkins into this but i guess he had some good points about how memes memes seem to propagate uh, so that was one one aspect of it, and then the other part of it was talking about how about the case itself and about the parents and how their lives basically have been kind of torn apart by this. We're talking about the parents of the pe- of the girls that committed the act itself, okay? Right. Not the parents of the of the little girl that they they the other girl they don't get to, they don't get interviewed. Um, neither does the victim. So it may be a little, it may be a little one-sided, but uh, one of the things that they also talk about is how the father of Morgan's father is actually schizophrenic. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier too. So there's, so there's two things about this. First of all is, you know, if the father was schizophrenic and, you know, schizophrenia is genetic. It does run in families. And if they had had any inkling or idea that they would have gotten her tested, possibly this could have been, possibly this could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. And then the second aspect of it is, is that they're still trying these two young, these two girls as adults, but could they not try Morgan as plead insanity? Oh yeah. Proven. you'd, You'd think so. I mean, the courts, the, the, so it'd be interesting to see what happens going on with this case. But they talked about things like she was, she was talking to Severus Snape in her room. Okay. And, and, and so she sees invisible people. And her father is aware of the fact that he's schizophrenic. And she started off not being aware of the fact that she was schizophrenic. Right. Uh, so, she was basically suffering and the parents had no, they really had no idea that what was happening to her except for maybe little signs. Okay. That's what I was going to ask was, I mean, he should have known at least what to look for though. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it may have just been just a case of just like it was caught before way too late before something could be prevented or they never thought that it was going to go as, as bad as it actually did. Yeah. Uh, basically this girl and the other girl, Anissa is her, the other girl's name became so obsessed by the slender man that they, 
both worked themselves up to believe that Slender Man was real. However, Morgan probably was actually seeing Slender Man because she's schizophrenic. Because she saw all signs of other characters. She sits in her room in the, in the juvenile detention center with these other characters that she believes are real. And her father, having this awareness that he is schizophrenic, when he begins to hallucinate, realizes that I am hallucinating. He's still terrified by it, but he has a certain amount of control because the drugs and his own self-awareness allow him to be, uh, allow him to deal with it. Right. So he's highly functional as a schizophrenic, uh, which you can be, and other people cannot be. Uh, however, one of the things that I thought was interesting was, and we deal with all this paranormal stuff on this show, but I thought it was interesting that in one of the part they talked to Morgan's mother, and she says, well, when Morgan was three years old, I can remember her talking about seeing ghosts in her room and talking to ghosts. And what was interesting about that to me is, is that schizophrenia usually begins to show manifest around the time that Morgan committed this act. So 11, 12 years old, it begins preteen, but it doesn't happen when it's, when someone's three. So, you got to wonder, and we talked about Sarah with Sarah Soderlund about some of this. She was talking about some of her experiences with schizophrenics, whether these people are more, they can almost be more in tune in a way to this, to the other world, to the other side. Ah, I see where you're going. Yeah. So you got to wonder, you know, are these hallucinations or is this just another form of ultrasound of consciousness? That's, I think, my main question. Of course, that's not really covered. There's no supernatural explanation in the film it's just this is how it's covered i I highly recommend it i mean it's very it's very well made but uh, this was also as you mentioned before this was also an aspect that has not been said until this film came out i had no idea this little girl was schizophrenic man that changes the ball game that changes the whole thing you know and the fact that you know i hated that it happened to the to the other girl and she's going to have uh, she's going to have problems the rest of her life. The one that got you know almost killed by her friends that she trusted. She's going to have PTSD, all kinds of things that she's going to have to deal with. But it's almost like, well, what do we do with this girl that is obviously this other girl that is obviously sick? And because we didn't catch it, nobody caught it in time. This happened. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Any insight on that, Heather? We're going to kind of up against the clock here. Um, I don't know how much I want to go into it. I have a family member who's schizophrenic. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all I know is that um, even without drugs, it's not a constant state of schizophrenia for for some. It's I don't know if it's for most, but I know that it's it's not all the same all the time for all schizophrenics. Um there are moments of lucidity where the sufferer knows that something's not quite right. Right. Like they can feel themselves slipping into this weird state of mind where they know something's about to go awry in their mind and they, they can feel their sanity going and they they have no way of stopping it and they don't understand what's happening to them. So it's not, um, it's not a constant state. Um, That's the only insight that I would throw in. 
uh, right. just for our listeners. But someone that is schizophrenic and if they have committed a crime, I mean, schizophrenia is a mental illness. It's recognized as a mental illness. I don't see why that, I mean, I'm sure the lawyers have got to be pleading insanity, at least on her. Now, the other girl, I mean, it's going to be, some things may be different because she didn't actually kill anybody. She was egging Morgan on and saying, you go ahead and do it. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange case, man. It's, it was strange when it first happened and it's, it's even, but it, but now we begin to kind of look through the glass darkly and we can see that, you know, there's a lot more to it than what was, what was said, um, initially. All right, Luke, we are going to go to the, uh, we're going to talk to Soraya and Josh and, uh, Red Bill. Hopefully, hopefully you guys can talk about some metal. So, uh. I will uh we'll go to them and guys we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Tarot is the art of using cards to peek into the mysteries of the world around us. Have you ever wanted to try tarot to learn more about relationships, work or finances? Maybe you don't know where to start or feel self-conscious going into one of those parlors. Try Ask Shuffle Cut, a great way to try tarot over email. Check us out at Ask Shuffle cut.wix.com slash tarot. That's askshufflecut.wix.com slash tarot. All right, guys, we are here. Episode 150. We have on the line a true brain trust. The guys that I've had the privilege of sitting in on many, on a couple of round tables with the guys that uh, I come to if uh, you ever need to talk about the strange and the bizarre. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about some paranormal stuff. And I want to get into with these guys about some conspiracy theories and what they think about it. Because I don't hear enough of that on the show that they're often on, which is Where Did the Road Go? And I understand that uh, Where Did the Road Go just had its fourth four-year anniversary congratulations guys congratulations soraya thank you and i have here soraya Askath, joshua cutchin and red pill junkie and how's everybody going tonight the rogues gallery yeah for sure absolutely uh i had mentioned in the intro that i watched a couple of movies and the two films, the two documentaries this week, this last week, and those were Hostage to the Devil and Beware the Slender Man. And we could talk a little bit about the Beware the Slender Man. I kind of uh, ran through some of the things that I thought about it. I don't know if any of you guys got a chance to watch that. That's an HBO documentary. But wow. Hostage to the Devil, uh, it's a film about Malachi Martin. And he was... I think an interesting person to say the least. And I think all three of you guys have now had a chance to watch it, which, which is cool. Uh, So I want to talk about your thoughts about this documentary and specifically the man, Malachi Martin yourself. I mean, is, was he a fraud or was he the real thing or something in between? And whoever wants to go first, take it. <laughs> well, I was very impressed with the documentary. Anybody who has streaming Netflix or check it out. I mean, it's, it's, um, for me, it sits in that, that really nice, like sort of mirage men sort of tier in terms of production quality, in terms of the way this is presented. Um, I thought it was great. I don't think it makes a very good case against, uh, 
Malachi Martin um, in terms of just his, his character. Like I didn't really think a lot of that uh, came to the surface. Basically you had one person who was sort of a naysayer who was sort of saying, you know, well, he was a fraud. I don't think it made a really good case, uh, you know, on the opposite side of things. So for me not being really familiar and I thank you, Adam, for sort of plugging up this, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, Putting, uh, plugging up this this hole in my uh, in personal uh, knowledge of of the occult because I wasn't familiar with Malachi's work really. Um, for me, it, it, it as someone who was sort of a neophyte in terms of his work, I didn't really think that it was. Uh, I didn't really see much controversy. I thought it was just an interesting portrait of somebody who mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. who really tried to to go the. It's interesting because, like you know, I, I don't think he tried to go the the. Um, sanctioned route into uh exorcism and into that uh into that sort of field and uh it's, it was just an interesting portrait of somebody in the in that capacity um but as far as the controversy it didn't really resonate with me that much yeah and the guy that you're talking about also had an added beef because malachi martin apparently slept with his wife that was another <laughs> uh, we need the price is right fail horn oh, oh, yeah. I guess he didn't, uh, I, you know, they talked about how he kept his vow of celibacy, but then later this guy's talking about the guy sleeping with his wife, but, you know, whichever. Uh, Soraya, mm-hmm. Red Pill, what do you guys think of that? What did you guys think of it? Any insights that you have on, on it? I, I, I thought it was well done. Uh, it's not a subject that overly interests me. Maybe because I'm, I'm I, I may, maybe I'm the only one here who's not Christian. And uh, that's not, not true. Catholic. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've never been raised that way. So like when I look at this stuff, it, it's coming from a lens that I'm not, I've never been in that vantage point, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes so sense. So like when the, when the, when they're talking about, you know, Satan and all this kind of stuff, I'm thinking, I don't really believe there's a Satan per se. And um, to me, I'm, I'm watching how they're twisting it to fit their, their view of things. Um, I thought it was very well done. I don't think the guy was a fraud. I think he believed what he was doing. Sure. Um, I'm just not sure he was doing what he thinks he was doing. Well, and, and, and to, to interject right quick, like, I think that like, I think that people who really get into this idea of, um, demonic possession really fall in the spectrum between somebody like you and me, Sarai, because like, for me, it's sort of a, you know, a, a fait accompli in terms of this sort of like, yeah, this sort of thing's real. And that's why I haven't been interested in that much. Um, so I think it, it really, I think something like this really strikes it strikes a chord with people who are like true agnostics who really have no well-formed opinion. Um, you know, as, 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 as neutral as you seem to be in terms of, in terms of your beliefs, like, you know, that there's something else weird going on. I think that something like this really, really resonates with people who are like completely on, the, like literally on the fence about the, the existence of an other in general. So, yeah. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Well, Red Pill, let me get your uh, thoughts on it. Okay, yeah. Especially uh, coming from I, someone that is that well grew up Catholic. You know, because I think exactly, you have a, I grew up uh, I grew up Catholic at one point in my life I was really seriously considering the possibility of uh, joining the Catholic priesthood, becoming a Jesuit actually. And one of the reasons why uh, the Je- Jesuits appealed to me uh, one is because I saw a movie like The Mission, you know, with Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. and Robert Hero. So, yeah, those, the idea yeah, of... a good uh, movie. Is, yeah, exactly. The, the idea of these priests who were, like, trying to be on the side of the, of the 
indigenous people instead of you know following the the, the rules of the church appealed to me and i think there was something of that rogue aspect in in the figure of this uh, person father malakal marfin who i also must confess that i didn't know much about prior to, to watching this documentary but yeah another reason why the jesuits uh, uh, were fascinating to me is because i read uh, and watched the, 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 the exorcist i watched the movie when i was a kid and and i read uh, the book in my teens i read it several times you know i think the book is to me far more fascinating that that the movie itself and yeah obviously the idea of you know being this this kind of individual who can actually have power over over demons you know is you know how 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 cool is that you know you kind of like you go you you dress in black and you say the power of christ compels you, you know? yeah <laughs> and you have this you know demonic entity you know of, uh, like fall to your will or something like that uh, but yeah, I must say that nowadays, yeah, demonic possession doesn't interest me as much mm-hmm. as it used to be. Maybe it's because, yeah, like you said, I have uh, fallen away or become or become distant from my former faith. Like Saraya says, you know, I mean, I do not discount the possibility that there are negative incorporeal entities that uh, at some point or other can interact with us, can even influence us. Uh, I mean, there is, a, there is a lore about spiritual possession that is present not only in the Catholic belief, but also in, in many other ancient, ancient culture and many other uh, religions. So yeah, the, the, the belief that there can be incorporeal agencies taking possession of, one, of one's body, either voluntarily, uh, as can happen when so- someone is in a, in a kind of like a trance and lets the agency in, you know, I take, I take and take control of one's body for a limited amount, you know, in order to perf- perform a certain duty. Uh, like in the case of mediums and such, or involuntarily. And, and that's yeah. probably the, the thing that uh, Father Malachi was uh, more concerned about, the idea of these people who... Uh, well, it's funny because it, it, in, his, uh, in his ideology, it wasn't involuntarily, you know. I, I was uh, watching the documentary, and there is this uh, idea that uh, possession can only occur if one invites the demon into one's life. You know, that, right. in, according to him, it, was, it is something of a gradual process. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. But yeah, there's, there's a few things that to me are no longer accept, as acceptable because f- people like him will claim that, uh, you know, there are certain things that are, are more conducive to demonic possession, and one of those is, you know, having an interest in the paranormal. So that means we're all screwed. Everybody <laughs> who's listening to this, yeah, you yeah. know, 
You're yeah. opening your doors to Satan, people. Right, 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 right. There's also, you know, things about like, I mean, uh, uh, homosexuality and uh, and deviant sexuality. You know, because this is very much in light of of of, of moral uh, Christianity. You know, and and there, so there are things that, according to their very very narrow lens are things that are of grace, are things that are not of grace, you know? And, and that is, to me, I feel that is uh, not acceptable. You know, I mean, he, he in, in the documentary, he pretty much, there's kind of like a veiled case that the uh, Vatican Council, uh, second, that happened in the 1960s, uh, was an attempt from, for the ch- uh, of the church to try to... Uh, modernize themselves to try to be closer to the people and 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 i see that there is a lot of people in the united states and, and malachi himself who were very much against that you know saying that you know the the church lost their way in doing that but as a as a person who lives in mexico and a latin american country i can counter that by saying that the the vatican, vatican council second actually uh, helped uh, Catholicism in trying to, to yeah. reach to many more people right. in Latin America and another country like in Africa by not, uh, for example, this idea of only giving the, reciting the, the the mass in Latin. You know, even though you know, not anybody except the priests can understand what, what the hell they're saying. You know? right. <laughs> the exactly. idea of now reciting the, 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 the mass in the native uh, you know, language uh, of the community, I th- think to me that that opened up or made the, the Catholic faith more approachable. Especially in, in in communities, indigenous communities here in Mexico, you know, I mean, communities are that that, that are now were able to understand, you know, the 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 actual content well, you're, of of the scriptures. Well, don't make your point, Alyssa. You saying about the Pope? About yeah, I just th- I just think that the Pope is very aware. He's very with the times. I think that he. Like I've, I'm not a religious person. I don't identify as a Christian even, but, and Catholicism is like, you know, something I would never conform to, but he is an awesome person. Like, I feel like he is just a really good representation. And I think that's what Catholicism needs right now is a person who is, really for all the people and i don't feel like he is only inclusive of people who you know are catholics or believe in a certain thing i think he just really embodies kind of the whole like love everybody do the best that you can you know bad people are bad and we have to work together to like i think he sends a really good message to people and I just love him. I just, you know, talking about Catholicism, I have to throw the Pope in there. I just love him. Well, yeah, I agree completely. You know, I mean, I think that the, the current Pope Francis, you know, is at the forefront of this 
uh, attempt by the church of trying to to be involved with the current uh, moral issues of our era. Right, right. He really connects with people. He really connects with people, and he connects with me. And I'm not even Christian and or Catholic. Like, and I love him, and I think that he is just. I think he's wonderful. I think he's a ray of light in, in, in amidst of everything that's going on. And I just, you know, I, I ask people, even if you're not Catholic or even if you're not Christian, you know, listen to what the man has to say. And I feel like he has a really good take on just being a good person, you know, try to do the right thing. So yeah, I just had to throw that in there. Well, I, I think that I think that a progressive pope has been long overdue, and I like. I mean, if there's one segment of Christianity, I mean, like all of Christianity can use some progressivism, but if there's one segment of Christianity that could use an extra dose, it's definitely Catholicism. Right. I have grown weary, however, of the, like the uh, the the lack of nuance in a lot of the reportage of uh, the way that he's said things. Um, because if you read like a lot of, a lot of, um, media outlets reportage of, of, of the way that he's made certain statements, it sounds like he's just completely like caving to everything. And I think there's a lot more nuance in what he's saying that mm-hmm. isn't get re- getting reported right. in terms of the mainstream media. Like you'll read stuff that's like the, yeah. the Pope says that the big bang is true and that, you know, God isn't a wizard. And like, that's not, I'm sure that there's, there's, a, and if you actually look yeah. at the statements, there's a lot more nuance to that. That is still, uh, dogmatic, and I mean dogmatic in like one of the few senses that you could ever interpret it as being positive. Like dogmatic meaning in terms of that there's some a, a bit mm. of principle there, as opposed to like this come one come all thing. Because I think that Christianity should be a come one come all thing, but I think that the way that that his some of his statements have gotten interpreted has been very much this like sort of a um a very a very open ended progressive to a fault sort of thing, and that's not exactly what he's saying. Sure, but that's you have to take into account that we now live in an age in which you know uh, discourse is being replaced by tweeting. You know, yeah, it right. cannot be saved. Thirty seconds less than one hundred and fifty characters. <laughs> <laughs> no, right, yeah. but no. he's embracing that. He's embracing that, and he's still using that to spread his message. And I think that, uh, you know. I, I think he's better at that than uh, popes that he has preceded. Like, I feel like yeah. he is doing his best to stay relevant, but not in a way that serves him in a way that serves and reaches all people. And I think that that's the point, you know, it's, it's fine that the Pope tweets, you know, it seems a little weird, you know, or whatever, but He's doing it for the people. I don't feel like he is a self-serving, egotistical person. You know, I just, I, I just love him. I think he's I, I, awesome. No, and, and, and I'm, I'm totally in agreement with everything you, th- you say, with the exception that I don't think that deep level theology should be something that should be tweeted. Like, describe Nirvana. You know, Dalai Lama. Please describe Nirvana in 140 <laughs> characters. Like, I think that, like, I think that that's the way that we consume media. And uh, if if that brings more people into the fold of being spiritual, that's a great thing. But I feel like a lot of people stop there and they don't take that a step further. And that's that's sort of what. If I have any sort of caveat about his presence in the media, that would be it. 
Well, I'm right. going to say well, this. Yeah, I get that. I want to say this about uh, where we're going. I mean, we're talking about the Pope, the current Pope, but we go back to the Vatican Council in the 60s. I mean, as Red Pill said, making it more accessible. And you're always going to have people like Malachi Martin that are going to be the more traditionalists that want to keep the old ways. Uh, so with that being said, I want to look at some of the other aspects of the film. And one of the big things, and this is something that you guys have talked about on the show before, when you look at the film, you have Malachi Martin himself. You have a little bit of Lorraine Warren is in there. You can see her in one yeah. of the one of the footages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ralph Sarchi, who's you know who. Yep. How how much does this? Not even traditional Catholic Catholicism, but how much does their Catholicism impact? And their beliefs impact what they're doing. So when they get someone that they believe is quote unquote possessed, is it more just like this kind of vicious feedback loop where the beliefs are influencing the person that is being, that is possessed? How much does that play? How much does their beliefs play into what's happening? I, I, I think a lot. And of course, anytime you mention the Warrens, I just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> what makes you cringe about them, Soraya? What, what specifically about them? Because, you know, I used to look at them as like the end all be all. And now I'm kind of like, I don't know. There's some weirdness I, uh, there. Back very, very early on, I had picked up, I, I had a thing called the science fiction book club. And it was kind of like one of those, uh, those music deals, like Columbia house music deals where you mm-hmm. get, you know, so many books for a penny and, and stuff like that. <laughs> now that's what I call. Paranormal psychology. Right. <laughs> it was sci-fi, but occasionally they'd have other stuff in there. And so I got one of the Warren's books through that because I was like, oh, cool, a book on ghosts, you know. Yeah. And I read it, and I just sat there going, this is bull. Like, this is so full of crap. And this was, this was early on, and as time has gone on, I've just seen more and more evidence that they were basically uh, – they were people who went in and tried to make a buck off the, anyone having issues. Yeah. Um, Especially Ed Warren seems to have been the one um, with the Enfield haunting. You know, they did the Conjuring two based on the Enfield haunting, but the Warrens barely had anything to do with the. Yeah, Enfield that's haunting. a yeah. great yeah. example. Yeah, and um, the main investigator has said, I think it was on Darkness Radio. He came mm-hmm. out and he said, "Well, you know, yeah, they showed up one day, and Ed said to me, work with us, and I'll show you how you can make them a lot of money off of this.' Yeah, Guy Lyon Playfair, I think, is who you're talking about." Yeah, but, uh, and there yeah. is, and that's he's not the only one who has said that about them. So if he was the only right. one, it might be one thing. But other people have said the same thing about the Warrens, particularly Ed. Um, it's just that they were scam artists, you know. And it's not necessarily that they didn't that, that Lorraine may not have had some ability and such, but they were using it and they were using people. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that it really makes me think. I, I wonder if at least Lorraine herself possibly did not really believe in what was going on and whether it was, but, but at least one of them was a true believer because there just seemed to be that aspect to it. Again, it's that oh. feedback loop that you, that you oh. see with them specifically. Also, you look at the first conjuring movie and they actually did investigate that. They were never asked to come into that case. The yeah. woman who uh, grew up in that house, one of the girls does her own radio show, and I believe does her own radio show, and she's written a trilogy of books on it. I right. forget her name. Uh, starts with an A. I can't remember what her name is off the top of my head. But she, uh, she came out and said, you know, the movie, nothing in that movie is true. 
Yeah. You yeah. know, the movie was totally fiction. She was happy with it because it did relay the feel of what was happening to them. But there was no, she said there was not a single thing in that movie that actually happened. Then you turn to Lorraine Warren and she's been quoted as saying, this is exactly how everything happened. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I wonder how much, like whether she's, whether she's lying or whether it's just like, this is the diversion of events that I remember, but right. her belief system plays something into it, you know? Uh, but yeah, like other guys, that is an interesting, uh, that is an interesting <laughs> idea, uh, the impact of belief systems, you know, because to me, it links to the whole aspect of what Greg Bishop's has uh, proposed with regards to the UFO phenomenon, the theory of co-creation, of how uh, the human witness is not is not a mere uh, passive bystander. You know, there's right. he the the witness is as involved in the outcome, in the final outcome of the phenomenon, as the, you know, unknown agency that is trying to, or is manifesting into, you know, our reality, to put it like that. So if we can extrapolate those ideas to things like uh, demonic possession, you know, yeah, I wonder if, if you are coming as a Catholic priest who believes in original sin, who believes in eternal damnation, who believes in, you know, negative entities, uh, you know, demonic adversaries, and you see someone who has, you know, seems to be under the influence of, a, of an unknown agency, you know, you mm -hmm. go and jump to, to that conclusion. But maybe if you uh, bring that person to, uh, I don't know, a witch doctor in the Amazons, you know, Maybe the witch doctor will have a, a different uh, uh, point of view and a different right. uh, approach right. to how to, to remedy that, you know? So, because, uh, you know, like I said, you know, there are cultures in which, in which possession is actually welcomed, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, in which, in which people uh, welcome uh, possession, but they're also aware that there are uh, entities that will try to 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 uh, uh, make take advantage of the situation. I don't know. It's, it's uh, the same way that I feel that the UFO phenomenon is surrounded or and or is full of of deception from the phenomenon itself. You know, this self-negating quality uh, uh, that you know seems to to uh, spawn out of it. The same way that I will be very skeptical of a uh, of a being that comes out of a UFO and tells to me <laughs> that he comes from the Pleiades or from the Andromeda cluster, I will be equally skeptic of uh, you know some kind of voice coming out of uh, 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 an alleged possessed possessed individual telling telling me that he is Satan himself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and they, well, but go on, Josh. No, I was just going to say very, very well put because like, that's one of my big things about all these phenomena is that like, I feel like a lot of uh, researchers base their entire cosmology off of um, what certain entities, if they are to be believed, say about their origins. And I feel like this is such, such a um, naive thing to do 
in terms of, you know, oh, well, they say that they're from, you know, Zebel Ganubi. And so they must be from Zebel Ganubi or they say they're from hell and they must be from hell. So it's just that, 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 that's all I want to say. Yeah. They, they had the one guy on the documentary talking about the different ways they can tell that someone's possessed. And he said, well, the first three, it, there were four things. And he said, well, the first three, like uh, speaking in tongues and uh, you can oh, always yeah. pretend to be scared of the cross. And he mm-hmm. said, but when you get to knowing things that, that you couldn't possibly know, that proves that it's demonic. And I'm like, or we're dealing with something psychic. Why is that not on the table here? In fact, that's the right. one that makes the most obvious uh, sense as being some kind of, uh, uh, you know, the person having some kind of psychotic break and manifesting uh, some kind of... Uh, Spontaneous PK, like in a poltergeist. But, but, but it's, 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 it's a materialist, non-materialist thing, right? I mean, like that, that's really what it's getting at. I mean, it's, it's, it's saying that like the other things can be described through a materialist paradigm, whereas um, describing things that you haven't been witness to can, that's not within what we know or what we recognize in terms of modern scientific methods. So that that's, that's really where that falls and falls down. Right. I mean, that's, well, I can remember, you know, uh, well, talking about the towards the end of the film and you see the little girl that is speaking Latin and they are, you know, they say there's no way she could have known that there's no way. But uh, you guys were talking to Rogan, you know, the one of the hosts of Project Archivist, and he talked about his where everybody thought that he was possessed And talking about how he was speaking French. Well, he had a perfectly good explanation for why he was speaking French because they were, they were getting Canadian French, Canadian television broadcasts and young kids, they pick things up like a sponge and especially with language. And so is it really all that unusual that this little girl could speak a phrase in Latin that possibly she had memorized but then everybody's like, well, there's no way. So then their belief system just feeds into what is going on and it just becomes more than it actually is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also the ability, you know, again, if you, if you were accepting that psychic ability is a possibility, if the priests know Latin and yeah. the girl is speaking in Latin, maybe she's picking it up off the priest. It doesn't mean that she knows what she's doing. Yeah, but there, there could right. be saying that where she's able to psychically pick that up and regurgitate it back without actually understanding what she's regurgitating. Yeah. It's interesting because in, in the novel The Exorcist, you know, the, the father Karras uh, has that same conundrum, you know, because he's very, very, uh, during the, the half of the book, you know, he doesn't really believe that uh, the, the girl is possessed. You know, and even when uh, the girl starts starts to talk in different languages, and he says, "Oh well, that's it. You know, that's the sign." Then the girl, you know, which is in that uh, part, you know, pos- allegedly possessed by the devil, says, "Don't you see? I'm just reading your mind." You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is when they say, "Oh man," you know, once in, he's back again in that loophole and trying to decide whether that's it is a genuine case or not. Hmm. And, and, and you look at, and, and if you compare it to the UFO phenomena where people, especially like, like I, you could use John Keel's Mothman prophecies as an example where these beings seem to know things that the people themselves didn't know as if they were standing outside of time somehow and could give you information 
from that that aspect, there's no reason to think that whatever is involved in exorcisms isn't also somehow capable of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, yeah, and, great point. And it's not that I don't believe that any of this is real. I mean, I, I do in some ways firmly believe that it is real. But at, at the same time, though, you have to you have to really look at it and think, okay, what's really going on here? Is, is the, I mean, like I said, is it just a feedback loop? So I want to turn to another subject, and uh, this is one that I wanted to run by you guys, and this is one that intrigues me, and the idea of the possession by the dead. Have any of you guys heard about, like, especially the uh, Watseka Wonder which was this case where this girl was supposedly possessed by the spirit of a of a girl that had lived ten years before and knew like her entire family and knew I've heard a couple stories like this. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, like knew like every detail. In some ways it's very similar to some of the reincarnation cases. Yeah. Uh but there's this idea that people can become Possessed by not a demonic spirit, by just but just a human spirit. You guys, have any, what, any th- ideas on, about that? I, I would think it's totally possible. Um, yeah, but I'd also I'd, I'd also definitely lean toward that reincarnational idea of maybe these are is the previous personality somehow coming through. Mm-hmm. I think of the Watseka Wonder case. And this was, I think, in the late 19th century. I think that the two girls' lives overlapped somewhat. So oh, okay. would it have been possible for them to have been, one to have been a reincarnation of the other? Well, but you, you would think not. Um, but again, we're, we're looking at things in a linear fashion. Uh, and I, I know Miguel kind of thinks that way. We could all be the same soul reincarnated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I had Julia Assange on in my first year, she was talking, she would do past life regressions and she was regressing this woman. I thought you said Julian Assange. Yeah, I did too. I was like, wow. I was like, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> Big get, right? <laughs> that would have been nice. Um, I want to make sure I got her name right because it was the first year. But anyway, she did past life regressions and uh, she came, had this woman in who had the same past lives as her. Like every single one of them was the same. Yeah, Julia. I'm sorry, Julia Asante. That was her name. Okay. Um, I had her on back in 2013, and she said that she had had someone who had the exact same past lives as she did, and you know, one came up in common, and then another came up in common, and then another came up in common, and she got really freaked out and told the girl she can't do this. Hmm. So, at that point, you know, I mean, the conclusion she was taking is that they were the same soul reincarnated in two different bodies at the same time. Hmm. Yeah. You hear stuff like that. Like everybody is the same or like there's the, I guess the multiverse aspect. I know, uh, what's his name? Paul Eno is big on that thing is big on that idea. Well, there's something that that, that's very, I mean, so, so the biggest argument against reincarnation is that, we have more souls on earth than we ever have in the past. Right. 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 The right. Idea is, so there's something comforting in the idea that it's a, uh, to use a Raiders of the lost Arkism, It's a well of souls that we draw upon. Um, much like, you know, sort of, uh, waves on the ocean. Like there are certain like little, um, 
you know, environmental uh, uh, peaks or crescendos in, in terms of this systemic um, larger uh, scale model that sort of just manifest themselves in, in, in terms of consciousness. So in other words, there, there, there can, you can have an ocean, there can be, you know, in theory, there can be 500 waves on the ocean, or there can be, you know, an infinite amount of waves on the ocean because of this sort of consciousness based theory. So that, that's sort of, that's sort of what I've come to in terms of looking at this sort of evidence. Hmm. It could also be that for each, you know, each time we make it to a certain point in the evolution of a soul, we can cut a sort of springboard other souls off of ours. You know, almost like having spiritual children, and then we, and then those souls are released into a reincarnational cycle. Have any of you guys ever had any kind of experience like that, like a past life that you that you can you can remember? Is there anything that's ever happened to you guys? Sir, I know that you, I know that something like that has had to happen to you. Everything's happened to you. <laughs> Not every. <laughs> I've never. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Everything's happened to you. Um, uh, I've had some some weird memory. Uh, so I don't. I have no idea if it's past life related or not, but if sure. you're familiar with Cappadocia over in uh, Turkey, where, around where Gobekli Tepe was found, where it has the underground cities. Yes. I used to dream of those things. And huh. that doesn't necessarily mean it was a past life, but I didn't know they existed until I read Andrew Collins' book, uh, From the Ashes of Angels, and I went, whoa, I've had dreams of these places, and I, I never knew they were there. I never had an inkling that these underground cities existed, and they looked exactly huh. like they did in my dreams. So whether or not that's a past life memory or not, I have no idea. But that's probably the closest thing I have to a past life memory. Well, I actually have something that happened to me. I mean, I can tell you, um, I think I've related this on the show before, but it's been a while. It's been probably over 100 episodes. But uh, when I was little, I could remember... Like, I I want to say it's my first memory almost, but I don't really know. But I kind of I kind of remember being on this field, right? And it's like almost like a battle going on. And I've always had the feeling that it's sometime in the Napoleonic Wars. And mm-hmm. I can remember some seeing somebody in like one of those three cornered hats on a horse. And then like the memory fades, and then the next thing maybe I'm remembering my third birthday or something like that. But it's very strange. It's like I've just this image in my mind that's never quite gone away. But it's just like something that's there. And I can't really explain it in any like other way than say, well, maybe a past life. But I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. See, see with mine, maybe it was just that I was always meant to look at this stuff. Right. You know? Right. And possibly that was the same way for me, too, as someone that loves history and enjoys it as much as I do. You know, maybe that's what that meant. Uh, Some have speculated that War and Peace was on TV. But, Mm. you know, my parents had a small black and white television. They didn't have a color television. I remember this in full color. And, you know, (laughs) so this is not uh, I've always been skeptical of that explanation. I remember this uh, dream that I had once, I don't know, probably 20 years ago or something like that. You know, the fact that I still remember it, you know, tells you something about the impact it had. You know, it wasn't really that specific, but I, uh, 
it got me the impression that I was in some kind of jungle mm. or somewhere, you know, and I was some kind of like uh, maybe a member of some kind of guerrilla group or something that had been captured and we were about to be, you know, executed by the military, you know, and the moment that, you know, mm. they finally shoot us is when I woke up and I remember the thing I remember the most is uh, the moment of waking up, you know, bowling, you know, completely heartbroken and, you know, m- miserable about, you know, this anguish of losing my life at such an, a young age. I, I felt that I was very young when I, that when I was being killed. So I don't know if that was some kind of like mm. uh, past life experience, but it was, I cannot convey how emotionally impactful it was, you know, that, yeah. that particular thing. It's like, why mm. would you dream something like that as a child, you know? Josh? I, don't know, I mean, I wasn't a child. I, was, I wasn't my teens, and I've, I've always, or, or in my teens, and I, will, I have always been very interested about, you know, social justice and about, okay. you know, uh, the freedom of, 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 of you know, uh, uh, political expression, all of that. So maybe I was, you know, uh, it, it was a, a result of that, or maybe my interest is, my interest in such poli- in such topics comes from, you know, <laughs> a past life experience. You know, I, I don't know. I leave yeah. the question open. Right, uh, Josh, you were Cleopatra, right? <laughs> no, no. Akhenaten. <laughs> Akhenaten. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Did, did you have a tuba back then, too? <laughs> <laughs> I had a helicon. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a giant I, I, music nerd joke that no one will get, but I mean, it's fine. <laughs> on, on, on my show, we had uh, had some local ghost hunters come in, and they brought with them their, their resident psychic. And very, very interesting woman. She didn't have the typical views of, of this type of stuff, and she did... Uh, she, she knew how to hypnotize people and do past life regressions. One of my co-hosts on my uh, metal show said, well, he, he would really like to try it. He didn't necessarily believe in it, but he wanted to try it. So she regressed him and, uh, he came up with a few past lives, none of which we were able to quite validate. Um, but the, the first one was one in California, which is someplace he has always wanted to live. So he kind of took that as well. Maybe that's why I want to live there, but it was amusing to, to, to get his response from watching it. Cause he didn't remember any of it. And he came out of it, and he watched the video, and he's like, "This is creeping me out." <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I'm always hesitant when it comes to hypnosis, but I also can't throw it out. Yeah. Well, and and the the case for for reincarnation was almost completely open and shut with the work of Ian Stevenson. I mean, yeah, um, the work that he did is. <laughs> You know, taking an aggregate quite startling, um, and it's something that I, I would advise anybody who's interested in these sort of topics would would avail themselves of because it's 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 one of those things that, um, if you uh, it's it's you you get like seventy five cases in to one of his studies, and you're like it's 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 too far to be you know complete coincidence, right? Now is this is this with the children? Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, a big part of what he did was to compare 
uh, children's past live memories and their birthmarks to um, mm. the uh, completely, you know, separately verified um, aspects of people's lives and the wounds they received, usually mortal wounds um, that they received um, during their lives in the past life. So in other words, if someone was, I don't know, um, you know, uh, somehow severed, you know, decapitated, the, these kids would have a, a birthmark around their neck that would right. sort of reflect that. Yeah. Um, to, 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 to provide a really broad example. Yeah. Hmm. You know, there's uh yeah, Ian Stevenson, mostly, I think he focused it, focused more on India and in the East, but there's, uh, and I tried to get this guy on the show, but he couldn't do it. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he's, uh, I guess, the protege of Stevenson. And he f- focuses primarily on children that are here in the, or in the West, the United States, Europe, whatever. Uh, and some of his stuff is really fascinating. I, I mean, you guys have heard of the James Leininger case, the uh, sole survivor. Have mm-hmm. you guys heard of that case? I mean, that is, that is one of know, the... That's a little boy that said that he was, he would tell his parents that he was having nightmares of crashing in a plane. Oh, yes, yes. And he would say that uh, he would, he would talk about a certain type of plane. I think it was called like a Corvair. And the, his father did a lot of research and later found out that it was a plane that was used towards the end of World War II that was used at Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. And they found out that this, you know, because he, he said that his, they asked him what his name was, and he said his name was James. Well, his name was James, but they found this, they found this James, uh, this other guy named James that had died at Iwo Jima. And, you know, the little boy met people that knew the guy that were veterans of World War II, and he saw them, met them, remembered them. Uh, remembered the guy's sister. I mean, it's just an amazing case, and you know, it, it, it's 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 pretty fascinating to think about the the, the possibility. Uh, you know, there's either two things going on here, in my opinion. You've got actual reincarnation, or you've got right. this idea of the possession by the dead, or maybe a soul that 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 finds a body and is and is able to remember things. Well, and right. e- e- equally, equally groundbreaking and both, um, both more palatable in a non-materialist paradigm, right? Yeah. Or sorry, sorry. Or Miguel, you're just saying. Uh, I think that there's another, you know, uh, alternative theory. Well, if you can call it a theory, suppose is that you know there's all this information, uh, you know, from people's lives that gets. Stores in the ether, mm-hmm. as it were, you know, like the Akashic somehow, exactly, kind of like the Akashic records. And sometimes, you know, new souls, if you wanted to call it like that, you know, get to tap into that information, you know. And and the more the more dramatic, you know, the events, you know, so for example, you know, the how someone died, you know, that is the the more easier to to tap into. You know, I mean, I guess you know people who who claim to have you know these children who claim to have you know past lives. You know, they they recall how they died, but I don't. I guess they don't recall how they used to file the, their tax returns. Oh uh-huh, yeah, like right, 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 right. You know? <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's, it's it, yeah, it's, it it is. Uh, 
uh, a fascinating idea how how maybe uh, I, I don't know maybe th there is this old if if we talk about souls you know as, as if we understood what the hell we're talking about you know I mean mm -hmm. it's, it's a it's a term we use if we try to, to to come up with a definition that we all agree on you know that's, that's when you go into trouble. But if we talk about souls as information, you know, well, maybe this information, you know, ends up being disseminated, you know, and, and then maybe it gets like attached to another cluster of information, you know, a new soul that is born into a new life. And maybe that could explain why, you know, there are so many people who claim to be, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, and they say, well, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, nobody can be but Napoleon. Only one of you can claim to be, you know, the reincarnation of Napoleon. Well, maybe they are all, you know, sharing a bit of that, of that information. Yeah. Yeah, that or, could be. We, or we've all been Napoleon at some point. Maybe, you know, I mean, they, they say that that, that, that in, in our bodies, you know, the water that conforms our bodies, you know, there is the... The blood of Napoleon are, 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 are the pee of a Tyrannosaurus Rex that lived like <laughs> 60 million years ago. You know, all these molecules, you know. So maybe there's also the way that that, that information gets. Maybe some kind of like a karmic or cosmic homeopathy, you know, that's, that that's gets involved. Well, uh, again, it, it, it evokes this idea of a source that is drawn upon out of which everything else sort of, you know, springs and concresses, you know. There was uh, the same woman, the, the psychic, Lorna, Lorna, oh, what's her last name? Hey, if, you, if you look up on, on wheredorogo.com and search for Lorna, you'll, you'll find some of the stuff with her. Uh, we have the YouTube of her giving uh, James his past life regression as well. But she had a case where she had this guy who she regressed, and I think he died drowning, if I remember right. And when he came out of the regression, his feet were wet. And I thought that was really fascinating because it doesn't necessarily mean that he was there or anything. Huh. It could have been sort of manifested somehow. But the fact that there was actual, like there was a puddle underneath him after doing this past life regression. That's weird. Yeah, that's, that sounds yeah. really bizarre. <clears throat> Rob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very well versed in this stuff, but um, gosh, the... Um, the the ones that Adam was talking about the overlap stuff or the um like what you you were saying I think Soraya the 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 splitting off of souls or the um the the fact that we can all tap into all of this like I've never I've never even pondered any of these ideas like it, it's just it's it's fascinating to me I've always kind of taken the stance that if if you know if there's reincarnation then the fact that there's like you know a huge ratio more people today than ever has been then that means that we must have just a whole bunch of new souls which really kind of explains a lot of things about how the way the world works today too but uh, i don't know I'm, I'm loving this yeah it's one of those things that like you know i, I tend to be t tend to be fairly agnostic about um about things in the paranormal in general but um reincarnation is one of those things that i've almost come completely around to being like 85% sure of because of the, the really great, uh, you know, sort of uh, breadth of literature that's out there that really does suggest that there's some, some actual genuine, um, there, there's a genuine kernel of truth to it. 
Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like ESP research. It's hard to deny when you really look at the evidence out there. I mean, there's different ways of interpreting it, but there's definitely something going on. Yep. Yeah, and, and whatever whatever is going on, here's here's the accent I've I've had to grind lately is that whatever is going on in terms of ESP or reincarnation or whatever, whatever it is it completely shatters the way that we understand science. True. It completely shatters the way that we understand um, the, I don't want to get too skeptical on you guys, but the materialist <laughs> paradigm, you know, it's, it's th- this idea that like what we can, the only things that are real are what we can see, taste, feel, touch, smell like th- that is, is severely antiquated. Um, you know, I don't. I don't even want to call. I don't even want to dignify it by calling it a 20th century concept. It's a 19th century concept. Hmm. Um, that that the things that are that we can actually like tangibly um, interact with in our you know five senses are are the, the extent of what we can okay. interact with well, and are on a realistic basis. Even science has proved that there's massive spectrums outside of our perceptions that are there for certain. That sure, but they're but they're not sure. they're not wrestling with and grappling with the implications of that. Right. You know? I mean, they're they're still wanting to play by the rules of, you know, uh, see, smell, hear, taste, touch. You know, <laughs> they're still wanting to, to to engage with that while not really saying like, what does this what does this imply for everything that we know, and even like the most basic things that we, the most basic scientific experiments. Like, what does that really imply? The fact that there is this, there are these unknown quantities that can influence this. They're not really fully engaging with that, which is, which is, I think, for me, it's, you know, I, I talk about a lot of things that are are sort of like, you know, out there in terms of like fairies and UFOs and Bigfoot and Sasquatch, but like this is this is the kernel of of what I want to. This is this is my axe to grind. Is that we don't fully grasp the implications of the things that we say that we that we you know that we that we accept in terms of our own reality. I hate to rewind. Uh, this is Heather, by the way. I hate to kind of rewind and and touch on something you touched on before. No, but re- rewind away. <laughs> uh, you you said something way back several minutes ago about an ocean with waves on it, and and there could be five hundred waves or an infinite number of waves. Could are you trying to just? I'd never heard of that before. But are you? If I'm following, are you saying that consciousness is an ocean and and individual consciousnesses? if that's the word I'm looking for, uh, are just the waves arising and peaks from that all encompassing ocean. Is that what you were trying to get at? Well, if you, if you look at that as a sort of a metaphor for a lot of natural phenomena, that's sort of what happens. I mean, that's what happens at a, at a tectonic level. You know, you look at a mountain as being sort of this, you know, uh, this unique peak, but in terms of the way over, you know, the course of millennia, it does have this sort of like wave like form where it compresses and then it, it, it subsumes itself back into the the general sphere of the earth. And I think that it's sort of, I'm not sure that it's exactly what's happening. And this is not an, uh, an, a concept really, you know, unique to myself, but I think it's a very robust metaphor for perhaps what a way to explain away the fact that we have more souls on earth than we ever have in the past. And yet reincarnation might be a real thing. Um, if you look at the way that sort of psi phenomena interact with each other in the terms of the interconnectedness of, of souls on this planet, you know, the fact that people, uh, if if you are close enough to them, if you have a twin sister who is in Bangladesh and you are in you know Sacramento, um, you can feel things, which is something that 
is so well documented that I would argue that it's perhaps even beyond being anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at those sort of things that, that imply a, a shared source of consciousness or a sh- sort of shared consciousness well, I think that's sort of what it's it's driving at is the idea that, you know, as as hippy dippy as it sounds, we are you know. I want to lapse into Terrence McKenna mode and say, as hippy dippy, <laughs> we all, we're all really sort of one. You know, we're all sort of really this one. Um, we're drawing from this one source of consciousness that is us, that is the other, that is God. And I think it's one of the most parsimonious ways of explaining away a lot of these things that seem anomalistic to us but when if you step back and look at it in terms of us all being connected as you know a, a centralized one um i think it sort of makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um again it's not an idea it's not an idea unique to myself but i think that it's one of the most efficient ways of sort of explaining a lot of these concepts in sort of one sort of uh centralized metaphor that we can as as people who have been to the beach <laughs> can understand no i like it i i like that a lot i hadn't heard that specific um, analogy, though I have heard an analogy from someone at my church trying to describe God and our connection to God as an, an underground aquifer, and we're just wells digging down into that. No, that I, aquifer. I, I love that too. Yeah. The problem is with the like. The problem is is that a lot of people in the West, and, and myself as a Christian, I, I identify with this problem. Is that a lot of us in the West will see that and say, like, well, we're all we're, we're not separate egos. I mean, like, I've you know I've spent my entire existence trying to define who I am. You're telling that yep. I'm, I'm, me that I'm part of all this, um, but I think that like if if I have one central central criticism of um, you know Christianity as 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 a religion as a religion as a Christian, I think is the fact that we are not prepared at all as Christians to you know sort of accept the fact that. The, the, to accept the dissolution of the ego, to accept the fact that we are not we are part of something greater, and our own individuality doesn't really matter, um, you know, which is an idea that I I personally kind of hate, but I hate it because I have that ego that you know that that doesn't matter. Um, Very well said, Josh. Very I remember, well said. Remember that I was uh, I once uh, wrote a blog post about reincarnation, how. Uh, I had some issues with the orthodox or the, uh, the typical way of viewing the subject, in which you view it from the point of view of, the, of our, of, like we're saying, you know, past lives. But in my mind, you know, that is not concurrent with the more uh, modern understanding of how time actually, you know, works. You know, to me, in my point of view, and I think that the, the way that modern physics currently going you know time is an illusion yeah you know, uh, so you're talking about past lives so what about you know having your uh future lives or your present lives all tangled together at happening at the same time and it's only your consciousness <laughs> that is trying to parse it and in order to give you the illusion that they are not simultaneous and that's what I remember when I when I first saw the movie Cloud Atlas. You know, it blew mm. my mind away, mm. and I felt yeah. that was a far more interesting portrayal <laughs> of how the phenomenon of incarnation could actually occur. I have a funny story about that movie, but uh, go, go on with the, whoever was chiming in there. Finish your thought. Oh, I, I, I was just going to say I don't want to alarm anyone, but I hear the sounds of what might be a small child, so be careful. Yes, there is a small child in the room. 
It's the Fae Folk. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we don't get a changeling. <laughs> so what were you going to say? About oh, well, uh, this is a funny story. I actually went to, uh, I went to see Cloud Atlas and it was me, my stepson and Luke. Right. And, uh, we were, uh, we were watching the movie and at the end, the, at the end of the movie, I think red pill, I, 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 I've all three of you guys seen the movie. Yeah. Red pill did a good job yeah. describing exactly how it is. I have uh, not yet. But Go it's ahead. it's a very emotional ending, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm about to I'm about to just I'm about to lose it. I'm about to cry. And I'm sitting there thinking, but I can't cry because Luke's right next to me and I can't I can't <laughs> I can't show him that I have emotion. You know, I gotta be cool, I gotta be a bro. And then like the next day, we're talking about the movie because we worked together at the time, and Luke says Luke says to me, he says, but you know, that was a real emotional ending, man, but I just couldn't, I was about to cry, but I just couldn't cry in front of you, man. <laughs> Did you guys Not hug it out? <laughs> man, don't cry. <laughs> Ever. You can't cry in front of a bro. <laughs> But anyway, guys, I want to segue a little bit into something that uh, I don't hear you guys talk about very much, and that's conspiracy stuff. Uh, as you know, we talk about we try to talk about this a lot on the show, but I want to get you guys' thoughts on uh, some specific conspiracies. Um, let's talk about the Big Daddy, I think, for right now, which would be currently would be nine eleven. What do you guys think about that? Do you think there's anything that was? Um, nefarious that was you know did the government do it was it an inside job what do you guys think about that but i have actually studied this quite a bit um the only thing i could say for absolute certain is that our government always lies yeah i mean that's just it's their policy they're always going to spin things to their benefit so they're never going to tell us the complete truth uh no matter what it is and it doesn't necessarily mean that there was something that they were involved or there was saying nefarious going on However, I have a number of problems with the official story that make it look suspicious. Um, I don't think, for instance, like President Bush was involved in setting up 9-11. I think if it was set up from within our country, I think it was a small group of people who had enough power. Maybe someone like Cheney and Rumsfeld could have been involved. Yeah. Um, I find it suspicious that the, uh, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the American Century Group there. Project for a New American Century. Yeah. Yeah, about a year earlier, was saying they needed a new Pearl Harbor to go into the Middle East and take off, take over all these countries. It doesn't mean that that's not evidence that they did it or had anything to do with it. However, it's awfully convenient. It's, yeah, it's awfully convenient that about a year later they have exactly what they wanted, and they're the people who were in control. That's the other thing; they were the people in control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look, it benefited Israel and it benefited Saudi Arabia. We find, you know, the terrorists that were supposedly on the planes came from Saudi Arabia. Um, You have reports of Mossad agents celebrating when the towers got hit. You know what it's, but the more you look at this stuff, the more it goes down a rabbit hole and it gets harder and harder to tell what's true. What's uh, just connecting the dots because you're seeing it a certain way. Uh, with a lot of conspiracy stuff, and part of the reason I stay away from it is so much of it is connecting the dots. You have five right. facts, and those five facts could be connected a hundred different ways. And they, you know, some of it may mean something, some of it may not. Um, I personally think if the two towers had fallen differently, it would be a different discussion today than we get now. It's the fact that I think both towers fell the same way that really looked suspicious. Yeah. 
Yeah. The the and, day it happened, I sat there and watched them come down and thought, oh, they, those were controlled demolitions. They must have been afraid the towers were going to fall over. Right. Right. So I wasn't thinking anything, you know, negative. I wasn't thinking, oh, they're they're blowing them up to make sure they come. You know, I'm thinking they're doing this for safety. They must have gotten in and and you know, created a controlled demolition. It was only later that I learned that would have taken months and months to figure out. Yeah. And building seven, the, the building that wasn't hit by an airplane that just fell right. into its own footprint. Yeah. Now, and, and the thing with building seven too, is that the, uh, the, uh, what's the, what's the group that was charged with figuring out how it fell? Uh, uh popular mechanics. No, 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 no. There's a governmental group of engineers. Uh, uh, NIST, NIST. Yes, yeah. NIST. Yeah. So NIST, NIST did not come back with the initial report on how Building 7 fell because they didn't know. And they eventually came up with a very creative way in which Building 7 could have fell. It did account for everything, but it's really a far-fetched explanation. Not impossible, but it, it took them seven years to come up with this explanation. Right. And when you look at that explanation, you have to realize that they weren't charged with how did building seven fall? They were charged with, here's what happened. Here's how it fell. Explain the physics behind that for us. Right. Right. Because Oakham's razor says that building fell from a controlled demolition. Mm -hmm. That would be the simplest explanation. Right. And you had my basic take on it. Yeah. You had another, you had, there was also another building that was also demolished not too long after maybe like a couple of months later, but it was, I mean, it was almost in worse shape than building seven was. And it still took two months for them to knock it down. It yeah. was still standing two months later. So, I, I think there, there were people who, if nothing else knew that this was coming, they may not have known what it was. I mean, to me, president Bush's response when he's reading the story mm -hmm. suggests that he didn't really know what was happening. Like he may have known someone might've said something's going to happen. Just play along, you know, We'll take care of it type of thing. Because if if any president, if you came in and told the president, hey, we're under attack. The first thing they're going to do is, OK, kids, well, I'm going to have to continue this story later. We, I have some business to attend to. That's very important. It was nice being here. They'd leave. Instead, he continues reading the book. Right, right. And and you talk about the Mossad agents. You know, I think what you're referring to is the uh, art students that were that had a video camera set up on a roof and they were yelling and cheering. And when asked why, when they were taken into custody and they were asked why they were there, they said they were there to document the event. Well, that, that kind of, mm. you know, makes you think that, well, if they were there to document it, then they had foreknowledge that something was going to happen. Right. Right. Which, you know, that's a real can of worms when you get into the Mossad involvement because then you get into, that's a real touchy thing there. Then you get into Israel did it, and then you get into the Jews did it, and that then it becomes, you know, that <laughs> that just and, and gets that, real, that gets real touchy for me, so. And, and here's the other thing. Israel does not, rep, just like America doesn't represent all of its people, right. Israel by no means represents everyone who is Jewish, and especially Zionism and Judaism are not the same thing. Right, right, right. But a lot of people will will tell you it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's because they don't know better. <laughs> well, some of it's propaganda too. But yes. Oh yeah. Red pill, Josh. What do you guys thoughts on that? Well, 
I guess I, I tend to lean uh, with Soraya in that uh, what I feel happened in 9-11 until I see enough information to counter it is that there were a few people in the government, you know, I mean, agents maybe in the FBI and the CIA who knew that there was a real potential danger that something imminent was going to happen that gave the warning. But the problem is that those warnings went through the typical bureaucratic red tape, you know, that by the time that something did happen, it was too late. And, and you know, that the government what tried to do was cover the tracks, you know, in order to hide their incompetence and in order to hide how all these uh, institutions, all these agencies who are supposed to work together are actually not. You know, they're always competing each other. I was yeah. trying to one-up each other. The CIA doesn't share what they know to the FBI. The FBI doesn't share what they know uh, to the military, the military doesn't share what they know to the Air Force and so on and so forth. Yep, yep. And in the end, it, 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 you know, like it, like Sarah says, you think, oh, well, the government did it or the, the government is behind it. It's, we're always stuck in these absolutes as if the government, quote unquote, is some kind of monolithic entity. Yeah. <laughs> where in fact, it's just a bunch of disconvoluted, you know, Groups of people with different agendas, with different interests, with different right. pursuits, with different opinions. Uh, you know, it's. I'm. I think that mo most of the time, conspiracies are about trying to hide incompetence <laughs> than about <laughs> trying to, you know, oh, make make this, you know. Uh, uh, Machiavellical plan, you know, that is going to take hold. That doesn't mean that there are there are not uh, people within the government that are maybe trying to conspire in order to try to further their own interests. Yeah, and it could be and that maybe people something. Like, yeah, but, maybe something like that happened in, 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 in during nine eleven. We do know that you know uh, Cheney. And, and, and Rumsfeld, they were, you know, yeah, and, and, and Bush Jr., they were looking for the perfect excuse to try to go after Saddam Hussein, you know, and they yeah. definitely jumped at 9-11, you know, I remember, I remember as a Mexican, after 9-11 happened, uh, everybody was supporting the United States, everybody was behind you. Right. Everybody was, you know, trying to show, you know, their support and say, hey, we, we're with you guys, you know, I mean, uh, stay strong or whatever, you know, whatever you need. And at, at one point, uh, the government said, well, you know, we know that somehow the Taliban in Afghanistan are involved with this, so we have to go there. And I, I guess 90% 90, 90 in the world says, yeah, sure, go ahead. But then when they say, hey, and we're also going after Saddam, you know, 90% mm -hmm. of the world said, wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> because what? You know, and, and this pathetic attempt to try to make the case that somehow Saddam Hussein was involved in 9-11, nobody bought it. And then this actual conspiracy, I feel it was a conspiracy that trying to make the case that Saddam Hussein wasn't 
possession of weapons of mass destruction. And again, a lot of people didn't buy it, but the United States went against, you know, the direct the United Nations, and you know, they went and invaded Iraq. You know, so uh, it's it's complicated. I, I don't. I think that my my main point is I don't believe in these, you know, uh, big C conspiracies. You know, mm-hmm. the ones that oh yeah, the Trilateral Commission on the Bilderberg, <laughs> the Illuminati, actually the Illuminati, you know, <laughs> the Zionists, you know, and the banks and all of that. They are trying to enslave us all. I don't believe in that. My good but friend Doctor Future that, says the 4H Club too. It says that they're involved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do believe that at one point, yeah, there there are you know several different you know small cabals are trying to you know take advantage of situations that happen. I don't want to say serendipitously because you know I'm a I'm a I'm a student of uh, Lauren Coleman. You know yeah. he's. He's not only a cryptozoologist, but he's also very involved in what he calls uh, twilight language. Right, people, right. You know, syn- all these synchronicities that, to me, <laughs> seem to suggest that there is some kind of order, or there is some kind of, I don't know, code, if you want to use the metaphor, some kind of computer code that seems to, uh, to rule the universe. And that code kind of manifests in these, you know, uh, coincidences and these, these, uh, these patterns that yes. seems to allude to kind of some kind of structure. Obviously, this is kind of a very, a very uh, dangerous path to follow because, like Soraya says, you know, sometimes you are trying to connect the dots too hard. You know, and yeah. sometimes your own bias is painting the dots. But yeah, yeah. nevertheless, you know, I think that's actually, you know, uh, 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 an interesting avenue of a study. And, you know, I, I do not discount the fact that maybe in the past, you know, some secret societies managed to crack that code, you know, that mm. code that rules the universe. We can call it magic, if we wish, and maybe try to use, use it for their own advantage. Maybe su- successfully sometimes, maybe not. I don't know. Mm. Now that's got me thinking. That's like <laughs> a, that's like the simulated universe uh, <laughs> hypothesis. Josh, you've been remarkably quiet. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> uh, me too. So, uh, what do you think, Luke? Uh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I think nothing. Um, n- n- my favorite response is Rob. Rob? <laughs> hey, Rob. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's difficult because, like, so many times by the time I, I feel like I should speak, like, everybody else has said so many things that really resonate with me. I'm like, so obviously what uh, Miguel and Soraya have said really do resonate with me. I tend to fall more along the lines of that sort of philosophy of let no good tragedy go to waste. Um, uh-huh. I think that if there was a nefarious component, it was probably opportunistic. Um, I think that there is enough weirdness around it that you can't, uh, you can't turn a blind eye to some of the stuff that was going on. Um, I would compare it a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, obviously it's a touchstone to, you know, Pearl Harbor, but I would compare a lot of the Pearl Harbor 
alternative alternative history to the 9-11 alternative history. And a lot of the Pearl Harbor alternative history, if you really dig into it, suggests that there was actionable knowledge that something was going to happen, but there was this desire to be brought into World War II. Right, um, right. Yeah, and I, and that's sort of that's sort of where I fall in. Like the the narratives of like energy weapons or people going in overnight um, to plant bombs inside World Trade Center just does not <laughs> does not resonate with me in any meaningful way. But come on, Josh, um, energy weapons, it's cool. <laughs> you know what? There's there's been some good there's been some good stuff out there about stuff like that, but it, it just doesn't. It seems a little bit too elaborate for me. Um, I think. Uh, where where I tend to get a little bit rococo is with the other. I don't tend to get rococo with what people do. Like I think people are pretty pretty uh, straight ahead in terms of the way that they perceive and the way that they plan things. And I think that if if there were if there were shenanigans, I would suggest that they would be more of the you know let no good tragedy go to waste, let this sort of thing happen, um, perhaps augment its scale. Um, yeah. That's sort of where I personally fall. Um, not to disparage anybody else's views, but it's just sort of where I am uh, with 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 what I've what I've lived with. And again, this isn't this isn't you know an axe to grind for myself. This is you know something that I just have taken in peripherally. But it 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 seems to fall for me a lot more in that per- sort of uh, spectrum. I I I want to say one thing here. So <laughs> I, was it Popular Mechanics? It might have been Popular Mechanics that did a whole thing, you know, debunking all the various conspiracy theories. Yeah, that's one probably the, what I was thinking of, Soraya, when you said it. Yeah. Uh, one of the debunkings was, of course, you know, thermite can't be used to burn through steel beams. And so they proved this by taking a block of thermite, sticking it to a steel beam like one of the ones in the Twin Towers, and blowing it up and showing, well, it blows away from the beam. It wouldn't, it wouldn't actually burn through the beam like people are saying. So this uh, engineer said, well, they're not really testing it. And so he made some thermite which is very similar to thermite. And he duplicated their test and said, okay. And then he started making slight adjustments to it. And by the time he was done, he had it burning right through the beam, the exact way they burned through the beam in the twin towers. Mm. And it's like, okay, so this is definitely possible. He didn't, by doing that, he didn't prove that's what happened. Right. However, he proved it was a possibility. Right. And he proved that they didn't disprove it. Right, exactly. And that they weren't trying to disprove it is the other thing. Because basically, you know, you have these groups like Popular Mechanics just towing the party line, which then hypes up the conspiracy theorists. And is that the point? Is there a, a dual edge here where they're trying to, you know, sedate the general public by, you know, dismissing this stuff and making the conspiracy theorists look crazy and also anger the conspiracy theorists and making them look even more crazy because now they're, they're coming out with angry rhetoric against this stuff. Let me add something to this because, you know, this is something that I wanted to, to touch upon when I knew that we were going to talk about conspiracy theorists tonight is that, you know, there was a time when conspiracies used to be a marginalized subject know, relegated yeah. to, you know, the backwaters <laughs> of the World Wide Web, you know, the, you know, I mean, uh, web pages like the ones we tend to read, you know, talking about 9-11, JFK's assassination, Roswell, obviously, and many other things. But these were subjects that the mainstream considered to be, you know, cuckoo stuff, you know, things, you know, that 
not to be taken seriously. Now, guys, we now live in an age in which conspiracies and conspiracy theories have uh, entered the mainstream, you know, and have entered official political discourse. You know, they were brought upon during the latest uh, presidential debates. And I dare say that conspiracy theories helped the now uh, current, you know, person in, in the Oval Office to win that seat, you know, because yeah. Donald Trump was one of the guys who was, you know, uh, supporting, or maybe he was the one who created the conspiracy that uh, former President Obama was not, uh, you know, was not born in the United States and was a secret Muslim. And now he's also uh, going with the conspiracy that there were a lot of uh, illegal immigrants who, you know, voted against him. And that's why he lost the, the, you know, the popular vote in the election. So my point is, you know, we now live in a really, really interesting time. Conspiracies are, are no longer something that you read in about Top Secret or Renzi, you know, or Mysterious Universe, or hear about in podcasts like this. Right. Conspiracies is something that they are now discussed in Time Magazine, in New York, New York Times, in Washington Post. The President of the United of the United States believes in conspiracies. You know, it's the conspiracies that support his position, but there again. And I don't know. I don't know. If, I actually don't know if this is a, a good thing or not, because we are also living a time in which the majority of the populace is very contrarian or very against the, you know, the official party line, the way that Soraya said, you know, something that has the veneer of officialdom is instinctively rejected nowadays by, by the average citizen, you know. Everybody says, oh, well, that's what they want us to believe, you know, and that's why, you know, we have this uh, losing of prestige of what used to be the way, uh, the, the, the normal uh, mainstream the news channels, you know, in favor of this whole alternative, alternative websites and it's creating a really interesting complex and very i don't know the uh, very chaotic political landscape all across the board you know and it's it, it, it's interesting you know to me as a someone who uh has been reading about conspiracies my whole life and and but used to read them you know uh, in a certain way and now seeing how conspiracies have been propelled to such a, uh, to have such a major impact in our daily lives. You know, it, it is a fascinating development. Yeah, I mean, Alex Jones is getting a White House pass, for God's sakes. I mean, he essentially, yeah. he essentially helped Trump get elected, Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like we're living in like la-la land, man, honestly. <laughs> honestly, when you think about it.
interesting you mentioned yeah. him. A friend of mine uh, mentioned a day or two ago that he got a new phone and went to re-download the Alex Jones app. Uh huh. It's no longer available in the U.S. Really? Yep. Interesting. As far on uh, um, iPhones anyway. Oh, that means. I, I'm sure it's an Apple decision. Oh yeah, okay. They might have decided not to do it anymore because Alex Jones is more high profile than he was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Huh. Well, what do you guys think about that? I mean, it's something like somebody like Alex Jones that, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many ways that I respected Alex Jones for the longest time. And then he just kind of became a mouthpiece for what I just see as the establishment. Well, that's how he makes a living. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's very, very true. I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but that happens to a, you know a lot of people. Once they start seeing the money come in, their 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 right their ability to be neutral, kind of. I mean, not that he was ever necessarily neutral. He had his own set of beliefs that he was he was pushing very strongly. Um, but you know, once you hit a certain popularity level, once you start getting, you know, really a decent amount of money coming in, it's much, you know, you, you want to keep that. Yeah. And he's got a whole media empire now Yeah, that he did not have before. And yeah, you're entirely right. And, but, and, and fear sells and that's what he's selling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a fear monger. And the problem is that he has no choice by now but to keep feeding that uh, fear machine, you know, perpetually. Otherwise, his many competitors will fill in his place. It's, uh, I don't know, in, in the same way, it's the same phenomenon that happens with, uh, you know, radical groups or even terrorist groups, you know. You have the terrorist groups that used to have, you know, abide by certain rules, you know, to, to, to say, oh, well, we'll we're going to hit these targets, but we're going to respect civilian lives and whatever. But then we'll, we'll inevi- you will inevitably see the, the, the rise or of more radical groups, which will be happy to, 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 to replace the old guard by, you know, being, uh, you know, more radical you know, and, and to, to abide by less rules and say, well, you know, screw that, you know, well, uh, we, we have no choice but to go, you know, further in, in, in the spiraling of, of, of violence, you know. By any and means the old guard, Yeah, the, the old moderates, you know, they, 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 they will inevitably be replaced, you know. They, they, they died out or, or they, you know, are no longer, you know, followed. Right. I think it, it, the same thing will happen to Jones, you know, if, if he started to, to become more moderate in his way of thinking, you know, all his followers will say, oh, well, Jones sold out or Jones, yeah. you know, is being paid mm-hmm. by the man. And they will follow and try to, 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 to consume news from other more radical websites. Websites like Breitbart News, you know, who are now sadly more prominent than ever, you know, to the point that this guy, Stephen Banner, is scarily enough is, is 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 amassing so much power that is it's almost surreal you know it's almost like we are in some kind of like episode of the twilight zone you know that's it's, that's every, true everybody's pinching their la- their arms and saying uh, no this can't happen right 
Yeah, we were were talking about that in the intro. Guys, I want to talk a little bit about, before we go, about uh, the future of podcasting. This is something that affects both of our shows. Where do you think that's going? What do you think the future of it is? Well, it's got to change. Um, and I say that, <laughs> sorry guys, <laughs> Debbie Downer, right out of the, out of the, I don't handle change. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> no. tell the truth, but I've heard, I've heard, um, a lot of people talk about podcasting as sort of being the wild west of, of, uh, alt media right now. And I agree with that. Um, but if you look at the, what the wild west represented as a cultural flashpoint, um, it had a definitive beginning and an end. And, you know, sort of the end was the rail and the uh, <laughs> the horseless buggy, as it were. And so I think that podcasting needs to be aware of what the rail and the horseless buggy for it will be. Mm-hmm. And I think it needs to adapt to that. I think that the the concepts surrounding the medium are um, are going to be timeless. But I think that um, podcasting as a whole is not going to enjoy this golden age that it does for you know, much longer. I think that it needs to start thinking forward in terms of expanding into stuff. I'm not saying that we should all, you know, go have a, uh, a virtual podcast, a, a virtual conspiracy, conspiracy, virtual normal, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, podcast. But I think that um, it needs to be prepared for when that shift comes. Um, you know, the music industry enjoyed, uh, you know, near, nearly a hundred years before, Napster and uh, digital music downloads came along and they were caught completely on their heels by it. Um, and I would like to think that podcasting could be a little bit more forward thinking uh, in regards to that. So I think that it's, it's a great thing right now. I'm loving it. I'm loving the podcasting boom. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, going out into the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> it's like going West and, and seeking a vein of gold, but at the same time that that's going to dry up. So you gotta, you gotta adapt to times. Um, so that's my, cynical slash hopeful take i guess <laughs> <laughs> well you All know right. with with the, with the music industry though they they had a business model that was working for them and they wanted to kill the digital model which they did not want to adapt to and it almost caused the end of record companies this is true this is true you know they yeah. they tried they initially tried to make mp3s illegal and now all they want is for people to buy mp3s because you know it's cheaper for them to to produce an mp3 they make more of a mm-hmm. profit mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where podcasting is going. I mean, everything's going to change. Everything always changes. And it is a matter of adapting, unlike what the record companies did, unlike what movie companies are doing. I mean, movie companies are fighting piracy rather than realizing most piracy happens because people are not given enough choices. Um, so I think, you know, the idea of podcasting isn't going to go away. How it's done might change, but it's something that gives power to anyone who really wants to do it. I mean, you don't have to, you know, when, when I started, where did the road go? I was like, okay, if my radio station will let me do this, I can do this. It wasn't meant to be a podcast. It was meant to be a radio show. Right. And very quickly I realized at this point, I don't need the radio station. I, I appreciate the radio station being there. Right. Uh, I love my, you know, WVBR has been an awesome place to be for oh, 24 years for me now. But I don't need it to do where did the road go because of, you know, iTunes and YouTube and things like that. And, you know, it'll change eventually. Radio's still hanging in there. It's not the power it was when I started because of uh, because of the Internet. 
Yeah. You know, when I started this and, and doing my, my show in 94, you had only certain ways you could hear new music. And radio was one of the primary ones because you couldn't just go online and listen to something. You either had to buy it, someone you knew how to have it, or you had to find it on the radio. Um, and although people still listen to the radio, it's not like it was in the early 90s and even late 90s uh, once we got high-speed internet. So it, it's all a matter of where the technology is going to go. Uh, I think the idea is going to stick around, but I just don't know how it's going to change over time because there's really no indicator yet on what's going to happen with it. Yeah. Other than the fact that mass media is trying to kind of swallow it up anywhere it can. Right. Well, have you seen, I mean, the darkness radio, you mentioned them earlier. They, yeah. the, they have gone to completely now they're off the radio in Minneapolis and they have now gone to just doing a podcast. Yeah. They're on Chris Jericho's network. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Podcast one or whatever. Yeah. And getting millions of downloads. Of course, you know they have an established show that they can draw sure. on and get that get those downloads, you know. And they're on a network that has already a ton of people already listening to it. And of course, the, the a podcasting network is similar to a radio station, but it's on demand. Right, right, exactly. Red pill. Gee, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but obviously, uh, the current podcast boom is a result of a uh, different. Uh, elements, you know, in conjunction to each other. One is obviously the technology, you know. Uh, Wi-Fi has become so preponderant. Internet uh, speeds have, al have also uh, increased. Everybody, you know, has a, has a smartphone capable of storing, you know, uh, uh, multimedia content, you know, from music to podcasts. So uh, everybody can listen to a podcast at one point in 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 your uh, you know your schedule and your you know your routine. There's also the, the thing that uh, our current routines you know uh, sometimes are very conducive to try to want to to listen to a podcast. You know, if you have a nine to five job in some kind of cubic, cubicle farm. In which you don't really have to have such uh, 100% of concentration in order to, to, to fulfill your daily duties, then you know a podcast is something very tantalizing because it makes that uh, job day uh, much more manageable. Right. And equally so, if you happen to have a long commute, you know, if you're driving work or you're driving back home and it's a long drive and it's becoming longer still if you're living in a city with uh, you know increasing traffic jams like for example Mexico City then yeah listening to a, to a podcast is is something <laughs> that you know makes sense this man speaks from personal experience <laughs> By the, well no longer because I am unemployed so I don't have to drive from nowhere <laughs> Anyway, even better. <laughs> even better. So I don't know, but I'll tell you what. One of the things that worry me about uh, this uh, proliferance of uh, of podcasts is, and um, it's something that we were discussing already previously, is this trend towards some kind of a 
insularity of a, a certain point of view yeah. in which people only tend to listen to the podcast that, you know, agree with their belief systems, you know, right. and, and they will shorn off or, or, or not listen to podcasts with a dissenting point of view or to mainstream media, you know, who have, you know, tend to have, you know, roundtables maybe with different, uh, you know, pundits, you know, who have a different opinion about a certain topic. And that is kind of worrisome, you know. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's wonderful that we we have the opportunity to to disseminate, you know, ideas that might be belittled or or shunned down or, you know, not taken serious by the mainstream. But at, at the same time, there is this uh, uh, inherent danger, you know, that people, you know, surround themselves into this kind of bubble, into this bubble into which they only listen to things they, that they agree and they don't listen to things that are counter to the way they see the world. And I'm kind of against that. You know, I think yeah. that you shouldn't, you shouldn't invite into your head only the voices that are pleasing to you, only the voices that are saying what you are already in, a, in full agreement. Try yeah. to listen to podcasts that challenge you in, a, in, in some manner. You know, either, you know, it could be about anything. And you're not just about politics. It could be about also... You know about, about uh, uh, these kind of paranormal topics. You know, try to listen to to, to podcasts in which they they have a even maybe even a more skeptical point of view. It doesn't have to be you know those debunking skeptics. You know, they are only trying to 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 make jokes of people who believe in this kind of stuff. But try to listen to different opinions or different views. Try. Try to see things from different perspectives every time and never be fully comfortable with a given idea. Because the moment that you you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I believe in this, for the rest of your life, you will be defending that, that position. Mm-hmm. Right. So no, matter, no matter how compelling or, or how, you know... Uh, you know the evidence that, that 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 is presented to you. You will be just reacting from trying to defend that position because you are only trying to defend your own ego. Right. Right. So that is one of the things that I hope that maybe maybe that's something that the podcast community could try to to achieve. And I think Adam that you are trying to achieve that with something like this round roundtable right here you know i mean yep. soraya joshua and i i mean we don't agree 100 on on everything you know and i think that is a good thing you know and yes, i right. think that trying to have dissenting voices but voices that can respect the point of view of the other without turning into some kind of yelling contest the most it's, right. it's like anything like it, it um you know i i it's like interbreeding, you know, you want to diversify the gene pool, <laughs> like you want to diversify, diversify the gene pool of thought, too. You don't want to hang yeah. out with people that have the same thoughts as you do, because they'll just wind up, you know, 
breathing through your mouth and dragging your knuckles. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to I want to say this is that uh, where did the road go has really challenged a lot of my thinking in the last year that I've been listening to it. So I want to thank all you guys for that. And Sarai, it's challenged you especially. a lot of my thinking as well. Yep. I'm sure that it has. Yep. I'm sure that it has. Before we close out, Soraya, I do have a very important question. This one's for Luke. Uh, favorite <laughs> Scandinavian black metal band? Oh, God. I have no idea. It, he well, that, he, it he's out. putting words in my mouth. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, Luke. Think of a metal genre. Ask, ask, ask what his favorite <sighs> of, of that metal genre because there's of so the many. Of the specific subgenre? Well, I know I know that he likes uh, thrash because I remember talking oh, yeah. about that together and and a little bit of death metal. We talk, yeah, death metal too. Yeah, some older death metal more than newer, but it depends what it is. Yeah, I'm one of those people who I just like what I like. I, it doesn't matter what genre it is. Right. D- uh, yes. Do, do you play an instrument? I could remember. No. Did we talk? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's well, why I do radio. Well, I, I mean, like I, it. <laughs> I guess it would just be most appropriate for me to just ask you, uh, you know, what kind of bands you've been listening to lately? What have you been into? <laughs> oh, wow. There's There's been so much good stuff that has come out in 2017. It's ridiculous. And uh, 2016, there was a lot of good music. And a lot of people said, ah, 2016 sucked for music. But it really didn't when you look at like sort of the underground metal type of stuff. Um Last year, my favorite thing, hands down, was Cult of Luna and Julie Christmas. Uh, it was a five-song album. It was like 45, 50 minutes long with just five songs. It was big-sounding. It was it was kind of a sci-fi-themed sort of thing. Oh. I can't describe it. It was dirgy and dark and doomy and powerful all uh, at the same time. Uh, so, sort of a theatrical sort of t- sound? <sighs> no, no. It wasn't like symphonic or anything. It was just big. It's <laughs> It's, I've posted it a couple of times on my uh, on my uh, Facebook because I thought other people would probably find it interesting. It's definitely not going to be for everyone. Um, I'm trying to think what I've gotten in the last couple of weeks that has really impressed me here. Let me see. Um, you you definitely do have to look to the underground because the the uh, the big record labels aren't really doing much right now. It's kind no. of inactive. No, and they're they're not going to put out the really good stuff. They're they're going to take the really good stuff. They're going to shave the corners off of it, and then they're going to appeal, you know, put it out to the mainstream. Right. Um, there's a new album from Creator, which just amazes me because Creator are one of the original German thrash bands that started in like '81 or '82. Let's see. Uh, what was that band you were going off about just before the podcast tonight? Yeah, Luke? we were just talking <laughs> about Creator before before we started this show. Yeah, because he 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 he. He mistook it for he mistook Crocus for Creator. Yeah, see, see, <laughs> yeah, I, a little difference there. I, I, w- I was exhausted at the flea market because I was hanging out with t- with two guys that just like talked nonstop. So like I, I was like, you know, it was the end of the day. I was ready to go home and and I was like, oh, awesome, you know, Crocus. Uh, I've, this would be awesome to have on vinyl. Thinking it was Creator, and I get it home and put it on, and it's terrible. Absolutely horrible power metal. <laughs> I don't even know if Crocus qualifies as power metal. What album was it? Uh, what did it say, Adam? I'll it's, go get it's it. Oh, yeah, it's over there in the chair. <laughs> it, uh, I, I, I guess just 80s metal, just heavy change metal. Change of address. Yeah, change of address. 
think change of address was the worst one they did. There's <laughs> <laughs> a few before that, like Headhunter and stuff, were actually pretty good. And change of address is the one where they went very radio friendly. Okay, well, I mean, do they ever in any album do they ever stray away from that terrible, like cheesy '80s metal sound? Or they ha- they have a harder metal sound on their earlier stuff. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, there, there's been a few instrumental bands lately, like Alluvial, that's come out. Oh, Ash Inspire. Ash Inspire has been my favorite thing so far that we've gotten this year. Technically, it came out in 2016, I guess. Uh, but it's like this doomy. Uh, thing with violins and it's doom metal with violins and the vocalist just sounds tortured through the whole thing. <laughs> awesome. So, so mayhem and Burzum. <laughs> uh, or my dying bride. Oh, oh, okay. More what, than that. What was vein. the band okay. that's uh, Infinite Annihilator? Oh, you got to bring that up every time. <laughs> <laughs> there, no. there, there, there's also a band called Anal Trump. <laughs> <laughs> And it is a great band. They don't suck. And every song is a quote from Donald Trump. Oh my god. That's that's yeah, that's definitely worth a look up right there. You can, that, that is free on Bandcamp. So it's like analtrump.bandcamp.com and it's a pay what you want type of thing. <laughs> back, in, uh, back in Athens was uh part of uh this group that they call themselves the George W. Bush cover band. And it would just set George W. Bush speeches to to music. <laughs> Adam Adam loves the uh, the band K9 is with the uh, Pitbull front man that just barks into the mic and growls. Nice. <laughs> Real quality stuff. Real quick, guys. Uh, starting with starting with Red Pill. Uh, tell Red Pill, uh, where can people get in touch with you and see what you're working on? Oh, geez. Well, you know, they can find me at the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. I write the news briefs there for Thursdays. I occasionally blog there, too. I'm starting to write again for Mysterious Universe. I did a two-part story recently that I think that got a lot of uh, attention, and I'm very happy for that. And... I cannot be very specific about it at the moment, but I'm, I can tell you right now, Adam, that in the very near, near future, there will be an announcement about you know, a, a project in which Joshua and I are involved. Okay. And it will be the first time, I guess, in which uh, uh, I will be a, a part of a published, published book. All right. So I'm very forward looking uh, uh, to that, and and I hope that I in the future I can return to your show, maybe you know, absolutely more openly about it because I think it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting and an interesting book, you know, not just one of you know that uh, something that you know people will be forget. I think that this this will be something that will get the attention of a lot of people. Absolutely, yeah. I'll always welcome Red Pill. And Josh, the Kutch. Yeah, well, well, now that now that uh, Red Pill has spilled the the beans on us, uh, producing the, the official disclosure document. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, yeah, this, that's that's what's taking up a little bit of my attention right now is this project that uh, Miguel and I are on. Um, it sort of came across 
my radar in the last like month and i'm like okay i've got to scramble my jets and get all this and all this together but um uh after that i'm working on another project uh that is uh specifically looking at the uh changeling phenomena in fairy folklore versus the hybrid phenomena and alien abduction lore um but you can find me at uh, joshuacutchen.com i have a horribly maintained blog <laughs> over there <laughs> But what I'm good about is I post every interview that I'm, I'm I, I do over there. So if anybody wants to mainline like 84 hours of Joshua Cutchin, that's the place to go. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but you can hear me. You can hear me regularly with these guys on uh, on where to the road go dot com. Uh, my two books are uh, A Trojan Feast and The Brimstone Deceit, and they're both available through Amazon. But most of the time, you'll hear me mucking it up with these guys. Excellent. And Soraya, last but not least. Well, obviously, wheretotheroadgo.com. And that is, uh, if you're interested in this type of stuff, that is where you can get everything. Um, everything since show number one is up there. We do have some Patreon extra stuff. Usually, it, it, there's only a few specific Patreon uh, shows. Everything else is in the archive for free and on YouTube for free. Um, and, of course, if you like metal and kind of obscure, weird, eclectic, dark type of music, you can check me out on thelastexit.org, also archived in there, so you can listen to old shows and stuff like that. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming on. And, guys, we were, we're going to close this section out, and we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. You guys want to hear some severed savior? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's for you, Soraya. Yeah, that's for Soraya. We know he probably likes severed savior. We, we don't it, even know. <laughs> he'll, he'll be my boy if he does. I'm Can we so, play that backwards know. and see if there's some sort of subliminal message? Or- <laughs> I'm just not, I'm just not down on the whole, like, uh, metal scene man this is not my thing but, but it, it is what it is we do we do have the record album for some reason crocus change of address in here so uh, <laughs> you're taking that with you right yeah i'm taking that with me i'm gonna leave it here so <laughs> great you know it's because you, you can hang it up on your wall don't you put that curse on me ricky bobby <laughs> uh guys uh what did you think about uh the the little round table there. Oh man, uh, those guys are all, they're they're all awesome individually. That's yep. that was a blessing to have them all on at once. I felt like I was King Arthur himself, dude, and like Guinevere was <laughs> showing her boobs next to me. <laughs> yeah. It was like in heavy metal, right? Or something oh, like that. Is that because I was over here breastfeeding? <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> <laughs> don't spoil my fantasy <laughs> my daughter's awesome boobage <laughs> anyway this is totally getting derailed i think we're getting kind of punch drunk at this point um heather i wish we had punch um a lot of it a lot of it touched on some things that you've talked about on the show and uh okay. it was interesting just kind of hear their their thoughts on it further yeah. Uh, eliminated. But I, I really dug that whole thing about the consciousness and the reincarnation theories. 
they flung around okay. that that interested me. Okay, and you know you you've been you've been with us since like the beginning, listening to the show. Like we would when we worked together, I used to play it. In yeah, the, you can't get rid of me in the office. Yeah, it's true. So what what has been your favorite? I mean, like if you could think about what has been like your favorite, like so far of conspiracy normal that you've heard like what's been like the most some of the most fascinating shows for you oh, oh well number one at the top of the list is the tarot episode obviously of course of course we had somebody <laughs> come in here read read our tarot you did us. that was just very interesting i don't remember who that was uh, i think i think it was heather from ask oh, shuffle yeah. cut oh, yeah, yeah, dot yeah, wix.com yeah. slash tarot a little bit of a plug there a <laughs> little bit um no I, I i think um well any of those kind of spiritual kind of episodes really really tickle my funny bone i like those a lot they blow my hair back okay um i like i liked the one um gosh the guy from Asheville who was talking about like the Asheville backwoods stories oh those that was micah yeah yes yeah, yeah, yeah micah yeah, yeah. The, the ones with the uh like weirds weird weird beings of of any sort those are great um, and, and of course, like I said, anything kind of spiritual or metaphysical, mm-hmm. I like those. And, and I like your female, um, guests that you have oh, on Rebecca Ross. Yes, I yes. like to hear more female voices. If you could please. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, there, there have, there have been some, there, <laughs> there have been some, it's been, it's A been very few small far slice between. of the pie, but I, I enjoyed Rebecca Roth greatly. Okay. Um, she's very knowledgeable. Um, but yeah, she it's really always makes nice. you think, doesn't she? Yeah, it's always nice to to hear because a lot of this kind of subject matter is is not to sound super feminist, though I totally am. But um, a lot of the subject matter is really dominated by males, and it's just really yeah. nice to hear some some differing voices Michelle on the subject. Bellinger. Yeah, we did have Steph Young on not too long ago. That was a great episode. That was a really oh, I can't good wait episode. to get to that one. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get her and Steve Stockton on the same show. I think. Yeah. Be good. Do they know each other? Yeah. Uh, Soraya has introduced them. Ah, nice. So they're a lot of their work is similar, but I think just, you know, they have, there's, there's so much to talk about, I think between the two of them. So, uh, thank you for being here, Heather. Oh, by no the problem. Way, uh, by, by the way, quick question. And, and maybe this is an odd question. Red pill. That's yeah. a reference to Matrix and not to the Meninist movement, correct? Yeah, I believe it's a uh, reference to the Matrix. Yeah. Okay, just wanted to make sure. What's the what's the what's the Menno Meninists? Movement? Oh, they're <laughs> assholes. I'm sorry. Can I say that word? They're jerks who believe that oh, women should stay in yeah. the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, you talking about the you talking about the oppressed male movement? Yeah, oppressed or males. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I got you. No, no, it's the, it, that's not. Yeah, it's it's a reference to the Matrix. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that that yeah. threw up a flag for me, and I was like, uh. oppressed male movement. Yes. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling oppressed. Do you feel oppressed by me sitting here next to you? Oh no, not you, but oh, okay. by but by my girlfriend for sure. <laughs> I'm she, sure she Kira, makes me she listening? makes me actually get out of my chair. And throw things away in the garbage can, and that put my home, <laughs> I know, and and put my clothes in the washer too. Oh like, man, how can you stand Luke? it? I know, right? I mean, I <laughs> I feel embarrassed coming out about this, but it's the perfect format. It's okay, brother. I mean, maybe she doesn't want her cat to die underneath a pile of <laughs> underneath a pile of dirty uh, metal t-shirts. <laughs> she makes me feed the cat too. 
Oh man, well the cat's kind of damp. So yeah. <laughs> explain what that is, though. Like what? What that, the men in this movie? Yeah, what that is. Oh, seriously. Um, no, that's seriously what it, they consider themselves oppressed. That women in the society, as as it is today, have become too have swung too far the other direction. But yeah. uh, they don't believe in equality. Um, to them, uh, they feel that the way it is now, mm-hmm. uh, even with the it, look and look, I'm not saying that um, women have it as bad as they used to. I'm not saying women have it as bad as women in other countries here in America. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we still have some things that we're working on. And I think that today's society is ripe for working more in that direction in spite of our current president and what he might be grabbing. But um, <laughs> but aside from all that, uh, men in the meninist movement believe that um, society as a whole has swung so far the other direction that it, it is now emasculating men in media. And, and to this certain extent, I agree with some of that. I mean, if you notice, like sitcoms have like the the harpy wife and the, the stupid dad, the, the stupid dad uh-huh. who can't do anything. He's a buffoon. <laughs> Commercials um, are like that yeah, too. every cleaning yeah. commercial ever yeah. where the the father is in the background, like he can't figure out the paper towels. Like, yeah, he, he duct tapes the baby to something. Right. You know, aren't you cute for making a suggestion? <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 I see, I, I hear them on that front. But if they honestly think that that means that they are an oppressed group, I, I really wish they would read a history book. Um, uh huh. But um, but they feel like. Uh, a lot of this ties into um, groups that do um, what's it called? Um, like pickup artists. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah, who yeah. like to go out and neg women and put them down in the psychological warfare to try to get them to sleep with them on one night stands. And then they dump them um, because they don't consider women human. Uh, essentially. Uh, they really don't think of women as a human. Is this the same yes. as the manosphere? Is that similar? <laughs> It, it, I'm sure that ties into it somewhere. Okay. What is okay. so? What does that have to do with the red pills? Oh, um, yeah. in much the same way as the Matrix symbolism of taking the red pill or the blue pill. Um, a, a lot of times, meninists will say, "Are you taking the red pill? Are you waking up um, to uh, the reality okay. of?" Uh, so they stole it from the Matrix too. Yeah, yeah, they took it from the Matrix too, gotcha. but it's um, but it's it's more of a wake up sheeple kind of thing. Um, where they're trying to get men to kind of wake up to the oppression that they are. <laughs> it's they it's are a reference to birth control. <laughs> You're taking your red pill. I wish they'd get some male birth control. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, I do want to leave everybody with a, just a real human interest. It was this heartfelt story, heartfelt story. Awesome. Um, this is brought to us by Luke here. He's the one who told me about this when we were on our little break. A trucker found love when he texted a phone number scrawled on a toilet wall. Mark <laughs> Mark Ellis, 51, sent Donna Roberts the message, Hi, what are you up to as a joke? He had seen graffiti left by her spiteful ex saying, If you want a good shag, call Donna on... This is in 
Great Britain. The puzzled legal secretary replied, who is this? The pair struck up a conversation, met days later, and eventually fell for each other. Donna of Brighouse, West Yorks, said, I think my, I should thank my ex. He did me a favor. Mark was on his way to his local pub in Gaff- Garforth when he popped to, into the public loo. <laughs> He said, I was curious to know if it was a real human being. We still laugh about it. Donna said it was days before he told me how he got my number. I was stunned. I had to get a new phone so no one else could ring. They now have two kids of eight and nine who do not know how mom and dad met. Donna said, I usually say that he texted me by mistake. And see, these are the type of things that you can hear when you listen to Conspiranormal, guys. See? What a touching story. It's a beautiful world and there's hope for all of us. Yes. There's hope for the world. You guys are welcome. (laughs) I feel, I feel so much better in my, in my heart now. Is that why you made me listen to that song before the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. The faster pussycat found your number on the bathroom wall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say that it's just terrible 80s video. Well, Adam, I, I know a place off the Greenway in an abandoned house where there's like a whole list of numbers if you want to start calling. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I should go, I should go over there. I should go over there. Um, okay, guys. We are closing out the show. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Heather, for being here once Thanks again. For, having me. for coming out uh, all the way from, from your undisclosed location. <laughs> And I want to thank Bean for being here as well. Providing, He's providing the joy. Yeah, he has passed out. And guys, uh, I want to remind everybody about Patreon, www.conspiranormal forward slash Patreon. Yeah, we'll have a new episode up yep. very shortly. Yep, we just did one today with Aaron David, uh, or the day when we're recording this. And uh, we're just going to, uh, with Aaron David, talking about Baphomet. Ooh, sweet. Spooky. So. This is some good stuff, guys. This is almost an hour long on this one, so you need if if you wanna if you wanna hear it, you gotta throw what is it? What is it? Four dollars? Five dollars? Five dollars a month? Five dollars a month? For all the bonus episodes? And, yeah, all that you want, or you can donate, and we'll send you send you that as well if you don't want to become a patron. So, guys, thank you so much. And next week, our, we were going to be taking like a two week break because I will be working for Super Bowl, but. Uh, We'll be back. We're going to be talking to a history podcaster about Russia and what Russia wants. Thank you guys so much for listening to Conspiranormal. Sit right here and have another beer. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.